T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Don't tell us that we're making things up when the entire discussion about hiring coaches and offensive coordinators has been married to the quarterback. What in the damn hell are we talking about here? Of course, we're all going to ask questions when you hire Cliff Kingsbury, who is famously without a job and working at USC as an assistant to a guy who's known to also be an offensive mind. Yeah, we're going to connect the dots. You can tell me they're not on paper. That's fine. Who are you going to believe? You are my eyes. When we talk about everything changing so fast with NIL and with college football falling apart, when you start talking about this longtime veteran NFL personnel guy, you're likely talking about a crusty old fart that doesn't even know how to think about where things are now, let alone where things are going. This is not the case, but let's say that Caleb Williams really wants to go to Washington, and he makes it known that he doesn't want to play for the Bears. The Bears don't have to trade him to Washington. They can make it someone else's problem. Bernstein and Hope, Middays 10 a.m. on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Yeah, spirited stuff yesterday with Layla Rahimi in on the Bernstein and Holmes show. That's what you have right now, and we are here until 2 o'clock watching all of these transactions fly around the NBA as we speak, having nothing to do with your Chicago Bulls. But hey, man. Yet. Yet. Maybe. Yet. Maybe. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai studios. Hard eight, hard eight. Your local Hyundai dealers, Ray Diaz, Adam Studzinski, Brandon Fryer, Connor O'Donnell, Kevin Lapka, the producing team. And we're busy today. Nick Friedle is going to join us to talk NBA in a few moments. We are also going to talk about those artist renderings of the Chicago White Sox Stadium. These so beautiful, pretty. sparkling, pretty, lovely, awesome. Uh, high noon at eleven forty. Matt Bowen at noon. We have some new Bears Hall of Famers. If we reports think, are to be believed, it's, yeah, we think that that uh, some of our favorites are going to make it into the Hall of Fame. I think so too. I think that they either ha- have or I, I, I don't. We'll know tonight. Know how to phrase it or we'll, tomorrow night. We'll certainly, I don't know for sure. At it's some tonight, point. and tonight. the voting has already taken place. Right. So yeah. they are theoretically in. The announcement just hasn't been made. But maybe it has because it leaked. So there. Well, we knew about we knew that Mongo had like a great chance of it being him. But the one the one I was I wasn't worried about Julius Peppers at all. I was worried about whether Devin would get in. So 
I'm very excited that it looks like he's going to get in. Got a lot of stories. Devin does, or you do? I do, because yeah. I, I covered him in yep. PEP. So it's exciting to see those guys get in. We will discuss all that as uh, trying to see if the Bulls can figure out a way to actually get themselves closer to winning a title. Okay, so here's where I'm at. I feel like they need to make trades. I think it's unlikely that they will. My question is for you, Dan Bernstein, what is the argument for not making trades? There isn't one. There's not a valid argument for not trying to do something other than this current build. If they're honest, if they come out and just say, we're okay with being competitive enough, and they kind of have said it before, we want to be a tough out and get in the play-in tournament and entertain people. And, and essentially, it's not a team. It's, it's a cast for a dinner theater production that keeps playing at the UC. I hope that that's not the way that they look at this. I know that the players don't look at themselves as being a cast for dinner theater. But that's what it is. They, they're selling out every night. It's a great night out. They're competitive enough. They win approximately half of their games. And maybe they get a puncher's chance against a better team. But now they're mediocre. They're old. They're, they're capped they're out. Up, they're up against the cap. And they have no real young prospects. Other Well, I shouldn't say that. Kobe White has emerged and developed as a, a player. I think that there's something there with Julian Phillips. Oh, yeah, there's traits. And he plays hard. Like, it's it's not just the traits. Like, he actually goes out there and plays hard. But real NBA teams have, have six of him. Right. And, and you don't. There's a part of me, Dan, that really feels like that even with them kind of, oh, we're going to let the, the media in and we're going to let them see Lonzo shooting a basketball. There's a part of me that feels like they want to see if Lonzo can They're, get healthy they enough. Know, they know better. I, I don't know that they, they know better. They know you better. don't know that they know they, better. They know better. And they, and they, they, they well, know Lonzo's well, Dan, likely if, done. If, if, no one has ever come back from this. Back? No one has ever come back from then, this surgery. Then why run it back? There's no, there's no good answer to that. I like the point the 773 says the Bulls are a semi-serious Savannah Bananas. Hmm. Yeah, they get a lot of money for their ticket. It's 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 a hot ticket. It's a great entertainment product. And what if they do think that he's he's going to come back? They don't. You can't. Why? No, because no one. Because if this is an experimental surgery that is maybe is, the experiment went great. It is designed to give him a quality of life. It's not designed to have. There's there's. He has been omnipresent lately around the Bulls. But he's he not, has been on the broadcast. He's and not they, running. And they allowed people to take video of him shooting he, a basketball. He's not running. Okay. But the next season doesn't start until October. Yeah, well. And that's that's what it seems like they're gearing up for. It's still, so why would that not, not be a part it, of their like equation? You know, like, but you, you know that that's not viable. If that he, you got to stand there Dan, and say we're it. not talking about what I think is viable. But, but then, then I don't not, think it's viable for them to run it back with the same group of people no, even, and expect a different result. I think even if, I'm talking about the way that they think. He, well, he's going to talk today. These are all questions he needs to be asked because even if Lonzo Ball were 100 percent healthy, this isn't going anywhere. Not with Demar Derozan playing these minutes at his age. Not with 
the apparent decline in Nikola Vucevic's game. It's just not. So, well, I mean, they have to answer for that too. Like, why did you feel? That, but all of the answers lead back to them having a vision for what it is that they wanted the Bulls to look like, and they're going to follow through with it, even though there's been evidence saying that that vision can't happen. For example, that's part of the reason they extended Vooch is because they believe that this group of people is going to net them an opportunity to be winners in a playoff series. Not the play-in, but a playoff series. Everything that they've done up to this point, including giving a max deal to Levine, extending Vooch, and so far not trading Caruso, Drummond, and DeMar, says to me that they think that they've got a winning squad here. And they're waiting on... And and the fact that they've ne- how long has it been since Lonzo got hurt, and what's been their strategy on replacing him? It's been nothing. It's been let's wait around to see which which of the guys after the trade deadline end up being contracts that are well. First, it was Goran Dragic, didn't want to be here, didn't want to be here, and resented the dynamics of the team. Told everybody off and bailed. Then it was Patrick Beverly, and then you didn't re-sign him. And so you go back into another season needing an actual point guard. Now, the good news for them is that Kobe White did develop. I still don't consider him a point. I consider him a lead guard. But there's nothing that they've done that tells you that, that they don't think that this is the right formula to win. Everything is pointing towards that. So. It's not crazy to think that they think that Lonzo Ball is going to come back and save them. All right, well, because they're acting like a team that's doing exactly that. Well, we're saving a space for them. Yeah, that's fine. And and maybe they're doing. It's one thing to do what you did for Jay Williams, and we know that the Bulls did it for Jay Williams when they knew he was never going to play again. But they allowed him to rehab. They held out the carrot for him. He said he was making his comeback, and it, and on the court it was proven he just couldn't move. I'm okay with them doing all of that stuff if they had actually replaced the point guard. But they haven't. Why don't we talk with Nick Friedel about this? Okay, because I, I just looking at, at what the market is fetching for some guys now, I'd like to see, you know, I, I want to know where they're pricing Caruso, Drummond, anybody. Who Kelly Olenek is out here getting first-round picks in return. I mean, we'll see. There's still time. But we're going to talk with Nick Friedel about it, get his thoughts about it. Very excited to have him back on the score airwaves. We're going to talk more buckets in trade deadline with the Bulls? Question mark shrug emoji after this on the score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. Andre, you've been obviously around for <clears throat> quite a few minutes. What uh, this time of year always has brings a certain amount of anxiety. What are your feelings going into this trade deadline as far as rumors around you and, and what that could mean for you in the next 48 hours? You know, I just control what I can control. Uh, I don't is that have hard it. to do or is it learned? Nah, man, man. I've been doing this for 12 years, man. So it didn't change then. It won't change now. There's nothing I can do about it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, great. Either way, I'm just going to continue to come in and do my job on a, night, on a daily basis. What do you hope? 
Hmm? What do you hope happens? I mean, obviously there's teams calling on you. What do you, what do you? Again, I control what I can control. Whatever jersey I put on, which is Chicago Bulls, that's who I play for now. It's a healthy way of looking at it for a guy who's worked hard on his own mental health in the last calendar year. Andre Drummond, he says 12 years. It feels like 20. It's hard to believe it's only been 12 for him. And no movement on the Bulls front. Here to talk about the trades that are flying across the NBA right now as we speak. And what might happen between now and the deadline is Odyssey NBA insider Nick Friedel. He's on Twitter at Nick Friedel, and he joins us now on the score hotline that is presented by Circa Sports Illinois. Download the Circa Sports app today. Always check out twitch.tv slash 670 the score. What's up, Nick? Dan Lawrence, it is great to be with you guys. I mean, just hearing the Bulls aren't going to do much. I, I felt like I was going back into a time machine. <laughs> it just never changes, does it? It doesn't seem that way. Look, you covered this team for a really long time, and I know it was a different management back then, but why Why in the world would they stand pat? Like, what reason <laughs> is there for them to stand pat? I, there's not. <laughs> I mean, they're just – they're never really going to change, are they? I, I, the amount of times – and it wasn't just at the trade deadline, but it would be in the summer when all the free agency talk would happen. It's all the years of, are they going to go into the tax? I mean, guys, they are who they are. And it starts all the way at the top. Uh, It's on Mike, and it was on Jerry before him. But as far as Karnasovic and Eversley, I mean, if you're a fan of this team, I don't see how in the world you could have any faith uh, in the direction they're going. I mean, they're not going anywhere. And and that that is the worst place that you can possibly be in pro sports. And it feels like, uh, especially since I left Chicago, guys, uh, that's where they live. I mean, they're just stuck in the middle. And they, they made uh, bad hires. With the front office, I think that's very clear, and it's become clear over time. And when that happens and you don't hire the right people and they're making the wrong moves, you get the mediocrity that they're stuck in right now. There is a thematic statement in John Milton's Paradise Lost where the fallen angel declares it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And it appears the Bulls are not only in NBA hell, they enjoy it. They they want to be there for some reason. And rather than explaining to fans how and recognizing how they're going to get out, it, it seems to me, Nick, like they look at a full stadium and they see what is essentially has become, for lack of a better term, dinner theater. And the entertainment product is outstanding, and and they spare no expense when it comes to the bells and whistles in the entertainment. That just has to be competitive enough. It's just it's it's insulting to fans in a competitive sport that they're so pleased to be in NBA hell. Yeah, I mean, Dan, you said it perfectly. Especially in Chicago, I, I think that's the thing. As I became more removed. I went and covered the Warriors for a few years out in the Bay Area. Then I uh, was around the Nets in New York City. When, when you see how certain teams operate, especially in certain markets, and I compared that to my experience 
around the Bulls in Chicago, Illinois, with the passionate fans uh, that exist in in the city. It's stunning, (laughs) but you realize why they are where they are. It's funny listening to the buildup there and what we're talking about, because I was talking to Cody Westerland, who's worked for you guys and done a great job forever. He's one of my closest friends. And I was telling him that the last time I was around everybody at the score was 17 years ago. We were all down in Miami. The Bears were in the Super Bowl. Mitch had hired me as a gopher to basically drive Murph around and pick up food okay. for yeah. everybody yeah. Get, day to day. Get me my lunch. We could have had the same conversation about the Bulls in that moment 17 years ago that we're having right now. What hell are they doing? Why are they making the decisions that they're either making or they're not making? When you have a team that has that type of reputation, not just locally and not just within the fan base, but across the league, there's no wonder why they have the product on the floor that they do. Nick, I know you talk to a lot of people around the league. Are, are we overvaluing the players that the, that the Bulls have on their roster? Are, are people just not interested? Because it, it feels like everything that I've seen that people would like to have Alex Caruso, maybe DeMar DeRozan, maybe Andre Drummond. Is there a market for those players to be traded? Lawrence, I think there's always a market when you want to make a move when you're motivated to do so. And specifically to Caruso, certainly there's there's a lot of interest in him. DeRozan, in the last year of that deal, at the age that he's at, I'm curious to see just what a team would give back. But again, we're running in these themes that, that we've all talked about for so long. I mean, go back in time, guys. Uh, when, when they made the Levine deal, I mean, I didn't think – that that you should have given him the first extension the Bulls should have. But then the worst mistake that they made, the, the new front office, the single worst mistake was not moving him while he was on that initial extension. You kept him and you signed him to a max, and now it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> he got hurt again? Oh, oh, you're kidding me. He's got three years left on a max deal. He's not a max player. So – They've been overvaluing the assets that they do have for years. I mean, this is not anything new for anyone who has followed the team, but specific to today and what they Well, it they seems have. like they did the same thing with Vooch, too, where they, yeah, they, they overvalued their own guy. Completely. And and they, they did the same thing with Lou Aldang you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it's, it's a pattern. I, I can't believe I would ever defend Gar and Pax because it was long past due for them to be gone and for there to be a fresh start with a new front office. But if you're a Bulls fan, you'd rather have Gar and Pax right now than than anything Carnes and Eversley have done. I, I mean, to sit there, if in a few hours the Bulls don't make a move or you know they move Andre Drummond for not much. I would be livid if I were a season ticket holder because not only are you not very good right now, where are they going? There's there's not room for them to be uh, much of a, of a difference maker in the next few years. And this is the issue. It's not just about today and what may happen. I, I mean, they are so locked into mediocrity 
it's scary. And what's disappointing to me too, Nick, is when these two guys were hired, I looked at their record connected to development. We can say what we want about the names that we know or the, the, the guys that they're drafting, but both the Raptors and the Nuggets had an exceptional developmental record when you can make Fred Van Vliet out of nothing and Pascal Siakam. And, and I mean, you can, I mean, obviously Jokic is a once in a lifetime player, but finding value in development, and we're still waiting on that. The fact that we're celebrating Kobe White at this point. Awesome, wonderful, but now you've got a responsibility that you have developed him to look at where his prime years are going to be, and instead of letting all these old stars age around him, this should be the the tip of the iceberg. There should be more guys developing. Where has that piece been? It it hadn't been there, and and I couldn't agree with you more. When When you read about and you talked about what Eversley and Karnasovas have been known for in, in these previous stops, especially Karnasovas, when you talk to people across the league, they went, well, the younger guys figure to get better. And for the most part, aside from what Kobe White has done for most of this year, they just haven't. And when you change front offices, you're looking for themes. You're looking for reasons to get excited about what has occurred. And one more time, what reason is there to be excited right now if you're attached to the organization? I mean, they, these guys just feel like they they took over for Gar and Pax, and it, it's either more of the same or it's worse than what it has been, which is just crazy. But when you watch the younger players on that team, you're kind of like, ah, I mean, really? This is all that there is? And and you look at Pat Williams, I mean, what, what, where has he gone? And why do, would you feel confident about where he's going? And I just, I watch what's gone on. And I, I know so many people within the organization still who have been there such a long time. And they're always so hopeful that things will turn. But if you keep making the wrong choices, the wrong choices build up over time. And sometimes you can't snap yourself out of it. But uh, in this case, I mean, this is why if you're Mike Reinsdorf and you've seen what's going on, I would change that front office in a heartbeat. It's not working. It hasn't worked. They haven't done the job. Get somebody else in here who will. Nick, I I really believe that they're still holding on to what they had on their dry erase board three years ago. That they thought, you know, with Lonzo Ball at the point guy, and, and it made sense. Like the, the you have a, a guy that that could hit threes, that was a, a tempo guard, like all this stuff could defend, could be the tip of the spear on defense, like all that stuff. What what bothers me? I don't have a problem with that being the vision, adding that to Demar and Zach Levine and Vooch. What bothers me is that after his injury, they never really replaced him, and they're still stuck. Three years later, we're still looking for the Bulls to have a point guard, and it doesn't make sense that that doesn't exist. Uh, I I agree wholeheartedly. And the thing that always scared me, Lawrence, in, in the, the Lonzo signing is it's like, okay, well, he's a good player when he's on the floor, but is he always going to be on the floor? And this is coming off the heels of Derek and, and everything that everybody went through during uh, that whole – up and down time 
in the organization's history. When they signed a guy who had had injury problems before he got there, I went, oh, uh, didn't we all just see how this movie played out? And now uh, he's missed two seasons, and everyone's going, ah, well, we can we can keep our continuity in place, and let's hope for the best. But I, I'm with you. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like even talking about it right now, it's like deja vu. They never found a, a, the right answer for when Derek went out, uh, at least consistency-wise, for the next few years, and they're not finding the right answer for when Lonzo Ball's out on the floor. And that goes all the way up one more time. I mean, when you're making those kind of decisions and you're saying, this is our core, we believe in this guy, and something happens and you can't fix it. That is on everybody. The only thing I always push back on with the Lonzo ball stuff is it's a nice team. Certainly they had success when he was out there and you thought, Oh, it's coming together a little bit, but guys, where, where was that team ever really going? This is a bulls team that should be doing everything they can to win championships. And it was my feeling and certainly others in the league that even if everything had worked out great and he had stayed healthy, is it a, a solid playoff team? Sure. But is it a team that's really going to contend for a title? Absolutely not. Nick, before we let you go, let's look at some of the deals that are going down already. Uh, Daniel Gafford is headed to Dallas, so it looks like that takes Andre Drummond out of consideration there. Similarly, the Sixers have made a move for Buddy Heald, and there's some some fringe deals being made. Gordon Hayward is getting dealt as well. As you start looking at some of these moves and the valuations of these players, what is it telling you about the current market? Uh, it, it tells me that I don't expect anything gigantic uh, to to happen here in the next few hours. Dan. And and as usual on the trade deadline, everybody gets so focused on well, what's my team going to do because it can bring hope even in the short term or in the long term, if you start making moves. But in my experience, aside from last year, when the Nets fell apart and they're moving Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant, we saw that those moves didn't even really help Dallas or Phoenix that much. Uh, I just have never put that much stock into what's going on. In my mind, you've got the teams that are in place and built to win at the end, and nothing has swayed me from what I've seen this year to think that it's not still Denver up top, Boston out of the East, if they can stay healthy and then we'll see what happens in the postseason. But there's nothing I've seen today or in the last few days in the build up to the deadline that makes me think that it's going to be a really big difference maker for anybody who has a chance to, to do something special this year. Nick, let's talk like big NBA in a couple of weeks, man, after the Bulls don't do anything. Um, this this was a real treat. I'm so happy that we've got access to you and, and you're able to come and be back here on the score. Guys, it's great to be with you. It, it really feels uh, special to me, too, because I feel like everything came full circle from when Andy Garcia got me in the building with you all, all those years ago. So I look forward to it. And anytime you have me, I'll be there. That's Nick Friedle, Odyssey NBA insider on Sports Radio 670, The Score. A deal's been completed between the Knicks and the Pistons. The Knicks are getting Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks in exchange for a big bag of nothing. Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, never Google. Don't Google his last name. Ryan Archidiakono, 
and two seconds. So these are the names that are appearing on our NBA ticker today. But again, the Bulls have better players than that. Yep. Do something! (laughs) Do something that at least tells us that you care. That you actually care. That's all we ask for. Two o'clock might be real sad. You want a scouting report on the Bears' new offensive coordinator? Yes, and I'd like to try and give it full context. It was definitely troubling when I heard it and Uh saw it yesterday. Uh So let's try to walk through what, if anything, it means, shall we? It's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. The rain has started again. 29 to Philadelphia. Seattle down by four. Third down and 10. 33 seconds left. Shotgun snap. Three-man rush. Lock throws. Long pass down the far sideline. Caught over the shoulder. It's grabbed. Smith and Jenga. Touchdown. Touchdown. Seattle touchdown! The Seahawks have taken the lead! Quit yelling. 28 seconds to go! Keep yelling. Yeah, keep yelling. He's, he, he didn't get the name quite right, but it's close enough. That was Kevin Harlan on Westwood One describing the uh, football play from a guy who gave us a... An inadvertent scouting report or or an opinion about the Bears' new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron? So let me give you a little bit of background here because this is one of the things that we were talking about on Football Night in Chicago yesterday. Our guy, Josh Schrock, is also out in Las Vegas, and he talked with Jackson Smith and Jigba about Shane Waldron and got a much better, better presented answer about him now eventually inside of this cut he finds his way into saying that he enjoyed playing to him the problem is is that at the beginning of this cut the silence from him is deafening Bears fans are super interested about the offensive coordinator coming in Shane Waldron what can you tell them about who they just hired to to uh, try to get this offense where it needs to go um uh, oh. This is this is live. Yeah, <laughs> we're not live. We're not. Live. I'm playing. Um, <laughs> uh, good luck to y'all. I mean, he, he's a he's a great person, great offensive coordinator. I was very lucky to have him my first year. Learned a lot from him. Um, I think he's gonna. I think him and Justin will mesh well, and um, you know, adding more guys around him, uh, I think it would be great. So we'll see. Do you do you have any advice that you give to Justin in that situation? Considering that you know the coach that's coming in, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, he's gonna love Justin. Um, so really, just Justin, be yourself and and go make plays for real. <laughs> that's it. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that's uh, courtesy CHGO. Yeah, our guy Adam Hogue, Mark Carmen. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't Is feel it good that you hear that. Now, 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 when I he actually said, I don't recall saying good luck. It was it was the long pause, and then the first words are "Good luck to y'all." Yep. What? Yep. And then is this live? Is this like right? We, no, we, it's memorized. Is this what? Good luck to y'all. 
now there were people in the comments that were really mad. They're like, "What's well, uh, he know? He's a rookie. He's a rookie wide receiver. He's the third wide receiver. Obviously, he doesn't like the offense coordinator." I I hear you. I hear you on that. It's all all of it. You put it all together. He's probably not a hundred percent right. And people who love Shane Waldron are not probably a hundred percent. Just put it all together. Just the reaction wasn't great. Let me bring this up too. And this is what I've been saying about how toxic and how necessarily avoidable Bears Twitter can be. Mm-hmm. The number of fanboys that came out in full-throated defense of Shane Waldron just because he's on the Bears tells you everything you need to know about that conversation and, and the conversation that can occur there. Like, people were coming at How dare he? Like, he's never called a play for your team. Right. You have no idea. He could probably walk into the room with a ball cap on, and you wouldn't even know who he is. And the number of people, they were like, what is this going on? It's, it's this, it was insane and off-putting that people, he has yet to call a play for your team, but just because his business card says Chicago Bears, the, uh, the number of people caping for him was astonishing and gross. And stupid. I mean, it, it. they seem to embrace him pretty quickly from what I saw inside of mentions that Shane Waldron has been embraced. I just think that that reaction was astonishing. Good luck to y'all. Yeah. And, and his, he would know better than we would because he played under the man. So, I think that you put it with everything. You just put it with everything and go, oh, okay. And maybe this is one of those things that years from now that we're like, oh, yeah, remember at the Super Bowl that time when they asked Jackson Smith and Jigba about Shane Waldron? And he was like, good luck to y'all. Maybe we should have listened harder. But. There is definitely a circling of the wagons for the new OC. Why? I don't know. Why is that I worth think, your time and effort at all? Because bears. I think there's just like a tribalism that people, they really struggle to, I don't know. Dan. Especially with their history of hiring offensive coordinators. They're almost all awful. But he wears, he wears the navy blue and orange now. He hasn't even Defend him. worn it yet. Well, he probably has. He's probably got like a he's got a sweatsuit. A good a good dry fit while he's up there working on tape and stuff right now. Fine. Next up, let's talk about the artist renderings of this new White Sox stadium. All right, that sounds like a plan. Let's I do that they're, next. They're pretty. I it's like very it. pretty White Sox. Next on the score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. 
Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Moving to a site like this with this kind of project would dramatically change the relevance and the perception of the White Sox in the Chicago area. Let's 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 be clear. I mean, we don't have to you know play games here. The White Sox are not only the second baseball team in Chicago, but there's a big gap between the Cubs and the White Sox. White Sox want a new building. They want to build it in the 78, and we finally have now seen artist renderings of exactly how it's going to fit there. And there's even a little a little pier where the water taxi is showing up just south of Roosevelt Road. <laughs> Come on. Okay. But it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks great. These are just renderings, but... They look really great. They look great. The only issue that I have is on the outside of the left field, uh, whatever that is, that screen on the back under the Sox logo, they spell Chicago, C-H-I-C-A-C-A-G-O. Is that a new station? Chicago. Or Chicago. That means it's a bad artist. (laughs) Chicago is how they spell it. Is it just like maybe a fold or something? No, no, it's it's Chicago. They should probably do that again. Yeah, you'd you'd think that somebody would have caught that. No, and it's the White Sox we're talking about. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. Nine times it says Chicago on That's there. That's not good. But this looks awesome. There's a Gallagher Way type area in the they spelled that right, huh? Outfield. There's shh, 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 you know, don't don't say that. That's not what they're trying to do. Oh, they wouldn't want to. They're copy they're the- they're not trying to be the Cubs, Dan. Oh, they're trying to be sort of neighborhoody and accessible. Looks an awful lot like like uh, what? Like what does Ga- it look like, Dan? It looks like Gallagher Way. Shh, 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 shh. No, the White Sox would never. With it's the, new and unique. With the TV on the outside. Shh, shh, shh. No, so no, no, no. Can hang out in the park. This out, is all area, stuff that, that they've created. Ah. No and, surface parking. Hmm? Nope. It it's pretty. I really have got no notes. It's if if they. But we knew that there's there's almost no no way that you could get building a new baseball facility, hopefully facing the right direction wrong did we see capacity no i didn't see capacity i didn't either but it's it's purdy for the chicago white Sox. yeah i still think that there's been a lot of um 
smoke blowing that's gone on as it, even in that cut, well, this is going to change everything for the White Sox. There's still a problem. And I know that people usually reduce it down to attendance, which to me isn't an issue. I, I, I like the ballpark fine. I like it when you're not there. I, I, me? I, well, yeah. Anyone. I prefer it when it's half oh, yeah. full. That's the best. Because then I can walk around and get all the cool stuff. And I can go to the, the, the magic urinal of, of success. Yeah. Where every time I go there, like Jim Tomey hits a home run. It's great. It, it, it's really a great time. There's a lot of like smoke blowing of like, well, this is going to change everything. It's probably not. No. They, they, they don't. And it's probably not because of the numbers problem that the White Sox have. Same thing with the Angels. Now, the Angels ended up getting Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. That played a role in people wanting to come out to see them. Their ballpark's also great. But if you're thinking that the thing that turns the tide against the Cubs is going to be this fabulous new ballpark, I have a lot of reservations if you think that that is the case. I, I, it's a numbers problem. There just aren't enough people who love the White Sox. If you poll 10 people in town and ask them what their ba- baseball team was, probably seven of them are going to say the Cubs. And sure, the White Sox have made gains in the, the southwestern suburbs as folks who have moved away from Bridgeport have moved out the southwestern suburbs and northwest indiana northwest indiana there's also like a there's there's a schomburg contingent of white Sox fans too that are out there i've seen some of their heat maps where where the the zip codes where the fan base is but even still you're you're climbing an uphill battle and i don't think that one of the things that i don't want to hear is that this is this is the cure for all of that. It would be great specifically for White Sox fans and other people who are curious that, that want to come by. But the part that we keep not talking about is having a new stadium is great. What's going to happen inside of the stadium? Are you going to actually, instead of the money that you're going to kind of find inside the pockets of citizens of Chicago and the County of Cook. We'll get to that. I know. Are you going to spend actual money on the team? Because I'm here to tell you that if you, you were really close to making a dent and it didn't have anything to do with your ballpark. It had to do with decisions that were made. Like I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm saying. And just so that we're clear, I'm okay with with a new stadium. I think it would be awesome, especially there, depending on a couple of other things. Do you think people are not going over there this year because of the park and the park experience? No. They're not going to go because they know that this team is probably about a 64-65 win team. I think there's an example right in front of us that we can cite that is perfect for this. PNC Park? Exactly. 
And I, maybe we should talk to Dejan Kovacevic or, or somebody from Pittsburgh about that experience because that park's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's, it's from the moment it opened, people have been marveling over what it could be as, as, as a destination, how nicely it fits in architecturally, that you have the Roberto Clemente Bridge and everything involved there, that it connects to a vibrant downtown area. Andy Warhol Museum's right around the corner. But they don't spend any money on players. Right. They run their team as a grift. They run the team on the cheap because they can. And because Bob Nutting and, and those involved don't want to spend money. And everybody knows it. So as nice as it is, and as a, as a civic architectural jewel that it is, they're kind of over it locally. I know Sox fans are going out there and Cubs fans are going out there and say, wow, this place is awesome. Yeah, okay, so you spent a weekend. Great. I but try it- to tell people all the time that Pittsburgh is kind of a fun city to go to and that you should, like, if you're looking for a short, inexpensive trip, to see either the White Sox or the Cubs, that's it. It's a 45-minute flight. It's a really nice, like, downtown area. There's a lot of culture, base, actual, like, baseball culture mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh and a lot of history. And once you get out to, like, the flats and everything else, there's a lot of cool stuff there. People already come to Chicago for Chicago. There's already other stuff here that brings people. Will this ballpark? Sure. I'm sure there'll be some folks who will be like, oh, the White Sox have a cool ballpark with an excellent view. But the people that you're trying to convince to buy season tickets, the folks you're trying to convince to fill half of, of your place up because they're going to be there you know, 60 games out of a season with their ticket package and then be able to sell the other 21 games to someone else because – is what you put on the field. And, and, and we seem to be in a sprint to celebrate Jerry Reinsdorf because he would even think of the idea of, well, how, why don't we build a new stadium? And everyone kind of claps. It's like, oh, yeah, it would be awesome. Yes, it would be awesome. E- even if the artist's renderings can't spell the city's name correctly, it would be awesome for that to it's like building the Death Star. Like, oh, well, what city are you building the Death Star for? Chicago. Chicago. I just don't want any of this to gloss over the fact that the quickest route to building relevance would be for your team to be good. And this feels like a real... Bait and switch. Dodge. You know, it feels like, uh, well, sure, the team's bad, but look over here. Look, look, look over. Sure, the franchise is rotten, and mistakes have been made over the last five years that have put them in this position. But you could take a water taxi down the river and get off at a ballpark to watch a team win 70 games. But look at our not Gallagher way. It's nothing like Gallagher I said, Way. I said not Gallagher Way. Nothing like that. Absolutely nothing. It's just coincidence. When they were close four years ago. And I don't mean close to winning, although you can make the argument 
they were close to capturing more people. The White Sox as a brand was cool. People were interested. They had it. You had it. And it didn't have anything. It didn't have a damn thing to do with your ballpark, which people enjoy. That's the other part of this. Most of the people that complain about 35th and Shields don't go to 35th and Shields. Because they're scared. Yeah. And it's hard to get to. No, it's not. Even though it's really easy to get to. It's it's super easy to get to. Yes. And it wouldn't be easy to get to. This. 78. But water taxi. Right. The 108 guys were all saying yesterday how much more difficult it's going to be for them to get to the that new stadium if they build it there. This is I, I can pick I up, feel like look, I'm taking crazy pills. I'm going to grab because, the water taxi in Clark Park. Right, I'm, I'm going to get right, right there. I'm going to get right on, right outside of Clark Park, right by the boathouse, and I'm going to head right down the north branch of the river to the ballpark. It really is like people don't understand how Chicago is built. When I was saying this during transition two weeks ago, Oh, no, it's just, no, you're going to be fine. No, that's not how it works. As someone who lives in Hyde Park, do you know how long it takes me to get to 35th and Shields? 20 minutes. Eight minutes. Eight. Six minutes to get to the the 55th Street exit and two more minutes to get to 35th Street. You know how long it it would take me, like, I'll use... uh, the Marianos that's over there, yep. okay? That takes me 18 minutes to get up and around. And that's... Because of current traffic patterns, right. Right. Where this place is going to sit, and folks that use Roosevelt Road as their main conduit... And it's more and more people every time I'm on it. This is, this is what I've, I'm trying to explain to folks. I also think that it's interesting that... There's a cross-section of people that tell you that Soldier Field is super hard to get to, but this is going to be really easy to get to. Okay. I, I would also tell you that even but if you're in the city and it's available to you, I'm not asking you to drive in from Sean Vegas to do this. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Look at it as another homework assignment. When you have time, I want you to take Clark from Roosevelt to Cermak. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about you having to navigate that and all of the things that the city is going to have to do to do that. If you want, if you want to cut it off and get off at 18th Street, fine. You can go by Ping Tom Park, which is absolutely well, see, gorgeous. I'm also thinking about what I used to do after work to get to Jason's games south or to get him, you know, from practice or whatever for baseball is I would take, I'd leave here, take Columbus. I would take Columbus, merge with the drive. I'd go past soldier field and around the back of McCormick place and exit there at Clark. That first exit as you're getting toward 55, as you get on that, the, the bypass there, that's the Clark exit. Even now, that backs way, way, way up. That backs up all the way around the curve 
because of the way that tra- like you're going to have to re-engineer yes so much stuff around there because even just there and I'd make a left and go down to 26 and and, and cut you know 26 uh, you know all the way down past Riccobenny's and and Carbone but over the Bion Canal right but but like that area there's there's no good ways at the moment and i don't know if what you're going to do with flyovers or overpasses or underpasses or how you're going to try to finagle some of that stuff but it ain't easy it's just that there is actual and that's before we get into like the cultural aspect of of the white Sox and and gentrified rate field that they're trying to build it's even before that like just just from a practical standpoint that that if you're talking about fans that live on the south side, if we take the 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 neighborhoods that are close to the Ryan, the ones that, that it's very easy to get. So so if we're we're talking about you know Inglewood back of the yards, we're further south. We're talking about Chatham, Chatham yeah. for example. It's a big difference, and anyone who drives the Ryan into the Kennedy knows this. It's a huge difference between getting off at 35th Street and then getting off at 18th Street. It's a and and again, if you're in your car, try it today. If you're coming downtown or anywhere near downtown, notice the difference between those minutes. Like all of it matters. And people are are just like, oh, nope, it's gonna be great. Everything's fine. Give him whatever he wants. That's not the way that we should approach this. Coincidentally, in today's cup of coffee newsletter from Craig Calcaterra, there is a big piece about tax abatements for stadiums. So this applies to both the White Sox and the Bears. Bears. Information about when they say no new taxes, don't Bears. fall for the okie doke. Don't fall for the okie doke on, the no, the on no new taxes because there are ways that they get their tax money or that they take tax money from elsewhere to pay for sports stadiums. And I've got the details on it when we come back on the score. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game on your favorite streaming devices anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. If you build it, they will come. Not necessarily. Not if you're bad. We're looking over these uh, artist renderings. The the best part of the artist renderings of these proposed White Sox stadium is the fact that nine times they spell Chicago with an extra ka, making it Chicago. I don't know if it's Chicago. How do you not see that in your renderings? I don't know. How do you not? Nine times. Yes. Does that make you, does that give you some confidence? They just copied, about how this is going to go. They just copied and pasted, and they 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 put some caca in our Chicago. Hmm, they're great together. No, don't don't. It's, it's Chicago. It, it's Chicago though. It's it's not Chicago. 
but I hope that they, if they build this, that they do correct that part of it. See, here's what's really interesting uh, that uh, I thought in the, the coincidence of this being published today in the Cup of Coffee newsletter. Did you call Craig and just say, hey, Craig, I need a piece on on stadium development and funding? I didn't, but this is, uh, he just says, whenever the costs of publicly funded stadiums and arenas come up, we hear about the out-of-pocket costs, how much the government and, by extension, we the taxpayers are forking over directly to build and operate them. Beyond that, we hear about land acquisition costs, which are often gifts of real estate to the team owners, subsidiary development rights, cheap loans, and the like. One thing we hear less about are property tax abatements. That is, the government simply agreeing to forego collecting property taxes from the stadium, sometimes for a period of many years, sometimes forever, which despite what someone with an agenda might tell you, is a cost. A giant shiny building worth a billion dollars or more on parcel A346, would normally bring in X million in property tax revenue, and now it's not. Since there's no such thing as a free lunch, the money has to come from somewhere, or more to the point, not be spent elsewhere. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. There's a book out written by a man named Jeffrey Profiter. Aptronym. Great, great name. And it's called Major League Sports and the Property Tax. And this was reviewed yesterday by Neil DeMouse of Field of Schemes. And this was his key takeaway. I love that. As of 2022, let me ask you this. There's a percentage number. There's 126 stadiums and arenas for NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and MLS. Okay. How many of those are fully exempt from real property taxes? I'm going to guess 50-50, like 50% of them. 79%. That's too many. 79%. This is this is what a grift this is. 79% are fully exempt. The 105 current stadiums and, and arenas getting tax breaks would have owed an additional $654.3 million in 2022 if they'd paid like normal property owners. So when Profiter extends those exemptions over the life of the building's current leases— the total public cost is about $18 billion using a 3% discount rate for future value. That governments are handing over to sports teams' owners by letting them off the hook for full property tax payments on current stadiums and arenas. And we let them off the hook! Of that $18 billion, $7.5 billion comes straight out of money for K-12 through education. Uh, the, the TIF money... All the that money is who we thought they were. The most common we use, the, the most common use of property tax revenues. Anybody who lives in a city run by real estate developers and city officials beholden to the real estate developers, hello, knows that property tax abatements aren't just given to owners of sports teams. They're given to the owners of office buildings, condos, shopping malls, mixed use developments, combinations of all these things. And given to businesses ranging from startups to full blown factories and legacy companies, they're handed out like candy characterized as incentives for much-needed development, but rarely, if ever, is that incentive truly necessary if the business or property owner would actually not have built where and when they did without the incentive. Often, I'm sure they would not have. And this is Calcaterra's conclusion. Think about the state of public school funding in your city. Like most places, it's probably funded by property taxes. Probably shouldn't be because that's inherently unequal and unfair, 
but it is all the same. How much money that would otherwise go to education goes right into a billionaire team owners or a multi-billion dollar real estate development company's bank account? Thanks to this book, we now have a pretty good idea, and it's effing obscene. So when Fritz Kayegi and the Cook County— I think it's just Kayegi. Kayegi? Yeah. And Cook County is telling the Bears in Arlington Heights, and their school boards are telling the Bears— uh-uh. You have property here? Pay your share. Pay your share. Pay your share. And that's all Kevin Warren is doing right now, is trying to drop that number as much as possible before they build there. It, it's it's really interesting to me that corporate welfare, and I know that I'm using loaded language there, is often identified by rank-and-file, everyday Americans that they don't like it. They don't like that some of these companies are able to get away with not paying their fair share into the collective. That anger tends to go out of the window when it comes to teams. And the teams have been really good, whether we're talking about the Bears, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Bulls, whomever, are really good at making you feel as if well, we are part of the community, and the community matters to us. On a, on a micro scale, I believe that to be 100% true. The people that I have interacted with at any of the, the, the major sports and some of the minor sports in town, they're clearly like community initiatives, them wanting to get involved, good people trying to do good things. At the macro level, though, that's smacked down by what Craig's talking about in this piece. You're not willing to pay your fair share. You're, you're not, and, and the way that you're able to get away with it is by getting in bed with politicians who will often platform themselves as people who want big corporations and billion-dollar corporations to pay their fair share until they get into office. And then they figure out, well, I can be buddies with them. Look what David Caval did for this boondoggle in Vegas for the athletics. Everybody's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Finally, it took the teachers union to file suit. And now finally, the Vegas mayor is saying this is ridiculous. and They should go back to Oakland because they're not really wanted here. But the, 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 the cost, like the, the cheap cravenness. That it was like a $5,000 contribution to some of these aldermen? Mm-hmm. Like, it's nothing. They're bought off so cheaply to change everything they thought. That's, that's one of my issues here, too. And it seems as if whenever the, the would it be momentum or inertia? Could that, I've used those interchangeably. The momentum of something like this starts there don't seem to be a lot of people who are willing to be like, well, wait a minute, perhaps we should take a broader look at all of this stuff, which is in the White Sox case, why I keep going back to the idea of what has Jerry Reinsdorf given you that you are willing to, to, to sacrifice? If you don't live in the city, you, it probably doesn't matter to you, but you're willing to sacrifice all of us that do live in the city and in the county of Cook and say, oh, well, you know, it's going to make for a better life for me. What has he done? Like, it it would be different if this were a celebratory thing 
of a great team that is committed to doing the most to not just build the place, but make sure that the team is representative of the place that they're going to build. And there's no reason to believe that that is the case. And that, to me, I think you've hit at something that is that that bothers me about the 78 and about the sense of place. It looks great, but there's there's no there there. Well, they have to build the there there, and I get I get that. But yes, they seem to be building. Look, I I was living at 20th and Wabash for a year and a half or so. So I was ensconced into the third ward. Uh, and and I thought that Pat Dow, as the, the alder person in that ward, did a great job of handling, like, my individual stuff, which to me is what an aldermanic office is supposed to do. You're really, like, taking care of your actual constituents. But as someone who lived over there, and granted, this was during... A big portion of it was during COVID, okay? So there's less stuff to do. It's, you're right. Like, it wants to be a neighborhood. But for it to really feel like a neighborhood, we're going to have to be decades out. Neighborhoods are defined by the generations that live there. You can't just pop something up and call it a neighborhood. That's much more like these these fake city malls that you see that are built now. There's some in Florida. There's one. Have you ever been to Easton outside of Columbus? No. It's a town, but it's a mall. Oh. It's like old, think about like Old Orchard on steroids where, but there's residential there and there's streets and they make it look kind of old timey and there's restaurants and people meet there and they go there and there's all sorts of retail and and commercial and residential and it's called Easton, but it's an it's a construct. It's it's fake. It's it's Epcot. You know what it reminds me of, and and I do love this place. I, I want to be very clear about that. Right outside of Vegas, there's a neighborhood called Summerlin. Yeah, I've been there. that. That's where Summerlin is, is where, where the youth Gina Marinelli's and, restaurant is. I love it over there. Like absolutely love it. It's a great contrast if you've been spending your time like on the Strip to go out to Summerlin and you're close to like Blue Diamond and a lot of hiking trails and mountains and all that but that's kind of what it feels like it's the idea of we're going to manufacture a neighborhood when in fact there there are still things to be done in the neighborhood that you're in and it does feel like that there's an abandonment and and it it, it smells like gentrification to me and, and, and it felt it smells like them trying to deodorize the problems with the franchise itself by saying, oh, well, we'll go to a place that's better. Cool. Are you going to be better? And if you were paying for it out of your own pocket, fine. Do what you want. But we know that that's not going to be the case. So to me, it's important that that the listeners of the Bernstein and Holmes show have a more robust picture of this a a mosaic of all of the things like new stadiums cool like it's obviously cool it looks really great where they're thinking about doing it seems very cool there's other stuff that goes along with it we have breaking bulls news they trade someone ahead of high noon 
Bulls center Andre Drummond has been fined $15,000 by the NBA for making his big balls gesture oh, that is in BS. overtime Ooh. of his team's win against the Wolves on Tuesday. It was deemed inappropriate by the league. I the league that, is lame then. Yeah, of course they are. Do you remember when Tyreek Evans did it to the Bulls? That was the It Happens game. Remember when, when Vinny Del Negro, they gave up a 35-point lead. They blew it in the second half, and Tyreek Evans was doing the look how big my balls are thing. They didn't find him. Lame. Now Adam it's inappropriate. Silver. Adam Silver, you're lame for that. That's lame. This woke cancel culture is coming for my big balls gesture. Did they, did they trade him? Was there also news that they traded him to the Sixers? Because that's probably no. where he would fit really yeah, well. But Again? No, apparently <laughs> Dumars doesn't like your big balls gesture. You're lame, Joe Dumars. You're lame. He's got the biggest balls of them all. And I mean, let's let's not talk about what the team Joe Dumars was on right? used to be out here doing. <laughs> Seriously, come on now. Come on, man. Mm. Uh, high Noon is coming up. Wait, before you go to High Noon, because we were talking about it as it pertains to the White Sox, but as it pertains to the Bears, too. I'm all for Kevin Warren doing what he has to do to try and make this happen for the Bears. But you can you can be for that and also be for, hey, are we are we doing right by the citizens? Whether the citizens are in Arlington Heights or if they're in the 78 or if they're in Bridgeport, Chinatown, or if they're in Naperville, the I-88 corridor by the Top Golf. It's fair to ask those questions. And honestly, unfortunately, when things are wrapped in sports, we don't do a good enough job of asking those questions until it's too late. And I think in both of these projects, it's important to ask these questions before a shovel goes into the ground. And then you're looking around at a, as a citizen and going, wait, why doesn't my school have what it needs? Well, because the local government gave this team a tax abatement which allowed them not to do that so just i just wanted to make that clear now we can talk about the fun don't go anywhere i promise you i promise you in the next segment you are going to laugh so hard your abs are going to hurt so do i even need a high noon story i have one i have multiple high this, noon stories this is i i saw this this morning and my wife thought something was wrong with me that I that I was sick. I or really something. hope it's as funny as you say it is. Oh, I, I've heard it, and it definitely is. And all you right. don't need a story because we're gonna have fun with this, and gonna we're gonna all be able, you guys are gonna be able to relate all right. to bizarre things you've had to read on these very airwaves all after right. you hear this. It's the, it's the greatest ad read of all time. I'm in. And try to think of some weird ones that you've gotten over the years. We've all had our moments. Without saying names, because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. No, no, no. We've all had our moments where, depending on ad copy, and we wonder what are we doing here with this ad copy, whether it's off the air, on the air, you hear it in our voices sometimes. You know from our tone and inflection when something is a little bizarre. This This is the apotheosis of that. All right, I'm in. Let's do that next on The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Midday's 10 to 2 on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? 
High noon. So what do we do at high noon? We tell you what we have talked about. We started out by telling you that the trade deadline is about two hours away. The Chicago Bulls have done nothing other than announce a fine that's been levied against Andre Drummond for his big balls gesture. I, I would like some, some NBA justice for Andre Drummond on yes. that. Yeah, there's, all, there's other trades that are going on and tweets about the trades and things around the edges, but all quiet. On the Bulls front, Nick Friedel, the newly minted Odyssey NBA insider, joined us to talk about that. We listened to Jackson Smith and Jigba's scary response when asked about new Bears offensive coordinator it's Shane prob- Waldron. It's probably fine. He said, oh, good luck with that. And then we discussed the renderings, the lovely, adorable, shiny renderings of the White Sox potential stadium at the 78, and then went through the, the devils in the details regarding tax abatements and how when they say no new taxes, just pull back the curtain, because that doesn't always mean what you think it means. It's um... All right, okay. go for it. I'm going for it. Uh, we all do reads in this job. Yeah, I think and I got one coming up. As 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 broadcasters and podcasters, well, Conan O'Brien has a podcast called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It's really terrific. And he has a new sponsor, and he, I don't know if he'd vetted the copy before he started reading it, but I all I'm, I, I, this is presented without comment. Toilet paper has no business trying to battle the mess of a large holiday meal. Bidets. On the other hand, shoot a precise... Str- I what the f- happened to me? I'm a good guy. I went to a good college. I worked hard. I wrote a thesis in college. I wrote a thesis. I've worked hard for years. I've raised a family. I've never gone to jail. I've never committed a crime. And here I am explaining how you gotta shoot water up... <laughs> Ridiculous! <laughs> Insanity! <laughs> what did I do? What am I, some kind of... I, I don't understand how this happened. <laughs> Toilet paper has no business trying to battle the mess of a large holiday meal? Do you know what they're implying? They're implying yeah. that if I eat a large holiday meal... <laughs> I just am gonna my my bottom's gonna explode. It's gonna be too much for any toilet paper. No toilet paper can handle that. No, you need a whole other device. I'm crying. You need a bidet that shoots water. No more smearing. It says here on the copy. No more. What happened to this? A precise stream. A precise stream. Lux bidet. Oh, here we go. Is the number one best-selling bidet brand. And I thought I had sold out. Can I just say, they say people will laugh when they first see it, and we sure did. We, we haven't even seen it. <laughs> Three million satisfied customers across the U.S. and over 150,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Who uses a bidet and then says, I've got to go give an Amazon review? <laughs> I've checked back there seven times. Clean as a whistle. My... This is. I'm gonna keep going because people are laughing too hard. Lux Bidet offers a range of patented bidet models. Oh, really? Including the award-winning Neo Plus series. What does that do? Yeah, the bidet comes and finds you when it's time to poop. 
I think you should go. Really? I think you should go. That was a large burrito. Lux Bidet's Neo Plus series is the next generation of bidet attachment with never-before-seen patented features. That's right, never before seen. This series features a 360-degree self-clean mode. Yeah. 360-degree self-clean mode. Are people spinning around on their ass? <laughs> Easy lift design, fast slide and insulation, plus all the same features as their best-selling bidets. Oh my God! Then it says, "Please talk about what you, why you love your Lux bidet." Oh no! I don't have one. But this is my favorite ad ever. This is a fantastic ad, and this is going to go out as it is, or it won't go out. Get the gifts your friends and family will never forget this holiday season. <laughs> hey, Grandma, wash your ass! Use code NA to get 20% off bidets at LuxBidet.com. That's L-U-X-E-B-I-D-E-T dot com. And code N slash A for 20% off. They made me spell bidet! <laughs> you just have to... That airs as is, or it doesn't air. You're right. <laughs> I wrote a thesis. And Conan is a legend. <laughs> also, the Lux Bidet sounds pretty great. But also, the best part is the code. He said N-A. That's yeah. got to be, that's like, tell him your name, sense. Yeah, I, you would have thought that they would have right, the given code. is Conan. Right, exactly. Like, something got screwed. That's my favorite part, is he says the code N-A, code not applicable. That means they screwed up and didn't put the code yeah, in. A couple code. major fails here. And I've Conan done that, too. And I, well, reading, like, the FanDuel thing, I, and I've said, Tell him your name, no, I, since you. In, in the recorded one, I was like, insert code here. Wait, studs, no. Wait. That's wrong. <laughs> a couple of major fails. First of all, they didn't Salute. get the man. They didn't get Conan O'Brien the damn bidet. But second yes. of all, that that part right there, you don't give him a code. He's Conan O'Brien. Right. You, you've got to you've got to send that to Conan, and then he's gonna be like, "Man, do you know how great?" It By the way, Lux bidet. Hey, hey, bring it. Come right on over here to the score. Yeah, because I am for that life. I am Toilet all paper for has it. has no business trying to battle the mess of a large holiday meal. <laughs> Bidets, on the other hand, shoot a precise drive. What the f happened to me? <laughs> Precision ass clean. The <laughs> Wash your ass, Grandma. <laughs> Dan, I I will tell you. I won't I won't say the product, but I'll just tell you this story oh real God. quick. House of L had a partner. <sighs> And they sent us the copy, and as CEO of House of L, I was like, eh, this copy doesn't really work for me because it was a little untoward. The product, by the way, was great. We, we read a read that was great and sold the product. Mm -hmm. They were like, no, we needed you to say it like this because this is our brand, and this is what... So I, I ran it through Leisure and Russ and Tony... I said, am, am I the right. jerk here? And they were like, no. What does it matter how we sell it if we're actually selling units? Right. The idea is for them to move product. So I cut bait with them. I will not cut bait 
on Lux Bidets, though. Yeah, we are right here for you. Please. Lux, Lux Bidet. Are you kidding? Someone send this to Lux Bidet. Because we will take care of you, as you will take care of us. Yeah, and we'll and we'll get the actual code out there. Nothing against my, my man Conan. In a. And I also went to a good college. I didn't write a thesis. I did, but I but I did go to. But similarly, I may also question my existence. But I do having having traveled enough to other countries and stayed in some hotels when such facilities are available. You got it. It, it changes your life. Real talk. That was high noon and a legendary one at that. I don't know how Matt Bowen is going to follow that. People spinning around. But Matt Bowen is going to do his best to follow. We'll talk to him about the the new Hall of Famers and the Super Bowl itself. That's next. Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. You just have to. That airs as is or it doesn't air. Matt Bowen. Two throws. This one aired out for Galloway. And with contact, it's picked off. Intercepted by Matt Bowen. NFL writer and analyst for ESPN. The ball came out. Right now, they're calling fumble. Matt Bowen knocked it out. Seven-year NFL veteran. We talked about it last week a little bit, Lawrence. You know, Dan was on vacation and all that. But uh, when you were there last week working, we talked about how. had <laughs> <laughs> to throw that in there. Fight me, Bowen. <laughs> Defensive back coach for IC Catholic football. One of the greatest things and most rewarding things about being a high school coach is to see the impact it can have on your student athletes. Matt Bowen with Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Let Matt Bowen talk. All Shut right. up. Let's get football-y with Matt Bowen. We're not talking about Christian Juszczyk or Taylor Swift or heading back from Japan or any of that. We are talking X's and O's and uh. people hitting each other because that's what we do. And I already already hear a, a sigh of frustration from our next guest, Matt <laughs> Bowen, who joins us on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino Circa Las Vegas Dot com. Matt Bowen's on Twitter at Matt Bowen 41. What's up, man? I'm good, guys. And I look, uh, when you look at just this football game, I think you'll agree with me. With the personnel, the coaching, this is one heck of a football yes. game we're about to watch. I agree. It's a, it, that, that's what's kind of lost in all this. Yes. Is this, a, this could be a kick-ass football game. It could. And I start with, you know, one of the key matchups, Nick Bosa. Versus Chiefs offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. That's where my eyes are going to be on the first third down of the football game. Because Nick Bosa is the best speed to power rusher in the National Football League. I think he has an advantage there on Taylor. If they can win that matchup, that changes everything for the 49ers in terms of how they want to play their coverages versus Mahomes. Because we've seen throughout the playoffs, if you're very defined and sit in zone coverage, Patrick Mahomes will find the openings, find the windows, and he'll move the ball consistently down the field. Yeah, so what do you do if you're them you're trying to stop him? Because that would kind of be my focus. And the reason that I say that is that mm-hmm. they haven't gotten enough production out of any of the guys that they've, they've had opposite of right. him. So, mm-hmm. so what do you do? do you, you, are you chipping? Are you putting a, a five technique over there? What are you doing? I think you have to do both. I think what you want to do uh, to, to limit Nick Bosa is one slide protection. Everyone understands it. Use tight ends, use the running backs to chip, but also how does San Francisco counter that? Well, they use their loaded fronts, and that's where you're going to have like an overload look, right? And now what you're telling them is we're going to scheme your protection. So now Nick Bosa gets the one-on-one 
we still want because of how we have lined up front. And that's another part of this chess match is both defensive coordinators, what they do with their defensive fronts, because that's going to allow them to create pressure and disrupt the pocket. How do you think the Niners run defense is whatever you say yeah. about, about the, the third down. I'm curious about the first and second down too. because they're dealing with a guy who I don't know how long his career is going to be, but, <laughs> but as long as he's out there, he's, he's running like his hair is on fire in Pacheco. Yeah, I would say Pacheco can get downhill. There's no question about it. And, Dan, look what Kansas City has done throughout the playoffs. More two and three tight end sets. Why are they doing that? Because they can mix both gap and zone schemes. And this is for to watch with Andy Reid, how he attacks the edges, right? A lot of counters early, I believe, so we can kick out the defensive ends, both Bosa and Chase Young. And then where has San Francisco really struggled throughout the playoffs, Dan? On toss schemes, getting the perimeter, pin and pull, where you can create an angle off a reduced set to block down inside in those defensive ends and get the ball in the perimeter. I think Kansas City will do that early, but especially out of their multiple tight end sets. When you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes, it's – it's clear that he is built for these types of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, one only needs to look at his career postseason performances, and it's of an MVP level. He's played 17 games in the postseason, and it's been right there with a 17-game MVP. If you're Brock Purdy, do you worry about that? Are, are, are you going against the, the Kansas City defense, or are you going against mm. Patrick Mahomes? It's a great question because naturally a player is going to think that, right? that you have to outperform the other quarterback. You have to score more points. You have to create more explosive plays. But I think Brock Purdy, if you really study how he plays, he is so well-versed in how to run that system under Kyle Shanahan. He's a, a perfect example of a timing and rhythm thrower. That's what he is. The ball comes out on time. He reads it very quickly. He throws with location. And as we saw against Detroit, when he has to play out of, outside of structure, he can. But I think this is a game where Brock Purdy – has to play well within structure because he's going to be pressured. We know what the Chiefs do defensively under Spags. They're going to bring pressure. They're going to bring zero pressure. They're going to bring zone pressure. They're going to bring simulated pressure and try to disrupt that rhythm. And that's another key factor to this football game, how quickly Brock Purdy can read it out. We've talked about it before, but when I watch the Kansas City offense, I see things moving. I see their patterns are largely outbreaking. They're inside to outside, reduce the formation, and force the opponent to play with an outside leverage that tries to keep everything inside. Take us through the defensive thought process there. If you know you're preparing in large part for outbreaking routes, regardless of man or zone, how do you get the advantage defensively? Well, you have to maintain your leverage if you're a man coverage, right? But here's the key, Dan. Look at Travis Kelsey when he runs those deep outs and those deep corners. A lot of times he takes a hard inside release, right? Mm-hmm. And then works back up the field and then breaks to the outside. What he's trying to do there is manipulate the leverage of the defender, force him to move inside with him, and now you can stack on top and get to the, to the top of the route where you need to be for Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, from a zone perspective, you know, and that's what San Francisco really is. I think there's 67.4% zone coverage, including the playoffs. Okay, so you're going to get a lot of those three-level flood routes you're talking about, Dan, where you're going to put the strong safety or the curl defender in conflict that he has to get to depth and keep the football in front of him so you don't give up those explosive plays in the deep corners, the deep outs to Travis Kelsey. And look, that's one thing San Francisco does very well. Their second-level defenders are outstanding, especially a player like Fred Warner. 
But I do think you'll see this. When they play two-man, okay, because they're going to play some man coverage, you have to. When they play two-man with two safeties over the top, I'd like to see if it's Fred Warner matched up against Travis Kelsey because I don't see a man matchup with San Francisco in the secondary as someone that can – can win consistently against Kelsey. Well, they've got a bracket, Kelsey, don't they? I mean, I, I heard I heard Nick Costos this morning talking from a, mm. from a betting angle. He right. said he, has, he really doesn't find it that interesting because for the Chiefs, really only three guys are going to be dangerous touching the ball in Rasheed Rice, Kelsey, mm-hmm. and Pacheco. He said everybody right. else is a complimentary player, and maybe there's a, there's a, a, a trick play or a bust or a matchup right. on a personnel group, but for the most part, there's no secret as to where they want to go with the ball. I agree. And to your point, Dan, you look at what teams have done against Kelsey in the past. Look at Belichick and the Patriots when they've done in the past, have a linebacker stand over him, literally stand over him and, you know, jam and disrupt him at the line of scrimmage and carry him or deliver him to a safety down the field. So there are ways to limit his production. And that brings up another point. If they do that, Dan, Who's the next player to make make the catch for them? Who's the next receiver that can get open consistently if they do limit Travis Kelsey? Okay, so I want to talk to you about one of those opportunities. Young players gaining trust of quarterbacks is mm-hmm. difficult. I feel like I've seen Rasheed Rice do that. How? How did he gain Patrick Mahomes' trust? I think over the course of the season, you saw him really start to develop in terms of his route running and especially what he can do after the catch, right? He's excellent after the catch. He has the ball carrier vision. He has the toughness to produce in the open field. So one thing is catching the football, right, Lawrence? I mean, that's where it has to start. Absolutely. Being catching the football, right? The other thing is creating for the quarterback, where the quarterback can throw a crosser, a wide receiver screen, a deep over route, and you make the play for him. I've always said that. And, look, this goes back to when I played in Green Bay with Brett Favre, is you sometimes you have to make plays for the quarterback, too. Right? You can't expect the quarterback to be perfect every time in terms of location and timing, right? Not every time. So there's times where you have to make the play for him, and I think you've seen that with Rice this season. What I think is really fascinating about him is he's starting to do the stuff that makes the connection between Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes so great. He's finally figured out, I don't have to run to the coverage, Mm-hmm. I can just sit in zone situations. This is where Patrick Mahomes expects me to be. And I, I don't have to I don't have to run because the what it said in the play. It, it it's it's like he's starting to pick up on all the things that make players instinctive. And if you do that for Patrick Mahomes, he's going to find you. Yeah, that's elevated coverage awareness. And that's part of his development. I think it's a great point you just brought up, Lawrence, with young receivers identifying what the picture does post-snap, right? What the safety rotation is. Where the underneath defenders are. Where can I find open grass? Where does Patrick want me to sit this route down so I can get it first down? And that, to me, is coverage awareness. Well, that's why when we talk about option routes, too, mm-hmm. when whether it's out of the backfield or whether there's this innate understanding of a choice, when you, when you talk about somebody lining up over Kelsey, I don't know how they, they always seem to get it right. Maybe mm-hmm. it's because we don't they don't run the highlight when they get it wrong or the ball doesn't go to him when they get it. It's possible right. that there's a selection bias here. But it always seems that they say, look, he he can break this either way, and yet the ball's there. So right. I just how many times do they have to practice it, or is there just an unspoken understanding based on a slight shade or just depending which shoulder that they seem to know who's going to be where and when? I think that comes from a lot of developed chemistry over the years, playing together, 
the production they've had together, but also in their preparation, understanding who they're attacking, taking advantage of defensive weaknesses, not just in coverage, but in terms of personnel, how they can attack certain players in coverage. Because look, everyone understands this. At the high school game, you can get away with it sometimes in college. But if you run a choice route the wrong way, opposite of what the quarterback is thinking, it's an interception in the NFL. It's that simple. It's a negative play for the offense. So you have to be on the same page consistently, and that's what we see with Kelsey Mahomes. Matt, what do you think of Kyle Shanahan's offense? Like, How would you describe what it tries to do to a defense? I think it's versatile. It's multiple. It takes advantage of numbers at the point of attack, both in the run game and the pass game, and they use a lot of misdirection and motion and post-snap movement to take advantage of defensive eye discipline. You know, what Kyle Shanahan runs, you know, outside zone, inside zone, power in the run game, leveled concepts. It's stuff we see every week in the NFL and at the college level too. But it's how they do it and how Kyle Shanahan seems to be a step ahead consistently and how he's preparing for plays that he might run in the first quarter to set up something later in the football game, right? And how good he is in game at adjusting to what defenses are doing against him. And I think it's one of the toughest offenses to prepare against. One, because of the personnel they have. They're all interchangeable. Christian McCaffrey can play as an X receiver. Debo Samuel can play at running back. George Kittle can play in the slot. And that creates matchup advantages consistently when you're looking at what the defense is doing. What do you think it says about the players that they're able to make this offense work at the level that it's working at? I think it's extremely high football intelligence. There's no question about that because it is so multiple and there is so much asked of you to align in multiple spots, right? Where, and to use the motion pre-snap, how much motion they use pre-snap, you have to have high football intelligence and an understanding of what offensive football is and how you're attacking defensive coverage. You love those guys on the outside for Kansas City and their defense, correct? I do. Why? Because they're aggressive. Uh, you're talking about Snead and McDuffie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legere Snead will challenge anybody. Uh, the way he plays press coverage, competitive in press, excellent with his hands, quick with his footwork, has ball skills down the field, but also what they do in zone coverage because they play a lot of cover two in Kansas City. They'll spin late to it out of different personnel, but they play a lot of cover two. And to be a cover two corner, you have to be physical. You have to tackle. You have to be willing to cut off the football in the run game. And you have to have excellent zone vision or backfield vision to make plays in the football. And that's a big part of what they've done this year. Because, look, it's under, it's easy when you look at Kansas City to talk about Andy Reid, Kelsey Mahomes. But really, you look at this defense and what Spags has done this year, it's a top five unit in the NFL. And it'll play a major role on Sunday night. We talk about the play callers and all of the intricate play designs that can come out from Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. And mm-hmm. yet... So much of what the Chiefs do is based on counting on a breakdown and scramble drill. Mm-hmm. If you're if you are running the defensive back practices right now on their spongy practice playing surface, <laughs> how, how how are you advising they prepare for the the unpreparable essentially? Yeah, it is really you, you have to have scramble drill at least twice on your practice script at least twice. And the scramble drill is when you simulate scramble situations and how wide receivers convert their routes. And that's something you have to study. What, what, what is Kelsey doing underneath route when Patrick Mahomes gets outside the pocket? Where does he go? It's not just looking for open grass. There's a theory behind it, right? Every offense has that when a play breaks down. And the thing about Patrick Mahomes that makes it go so well 
is his high-level pocket awareness or high-level pocket instincts. He knows when to pull the ball down. He knows when to attack open rush lanes. The first thing with Mahomes, he is moving to throw, right? That's what he does. He moves to throw. But also, when he gets out into the open field, he is excellent at finding the first down marker and picking up the sticks. I think he's the best scrambling quarterback in the NFL because he combines the throwing traits with his movement ability. Wanted to ask you about the three local Ooh. Hall of Famers that that the Bears are hopefully going to right. to be, be made that over the next 24 hours. Let's start with Mongo because you're a kid that grew up watching those teams. What what do you think this means for 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 you as a fan and for Mongo to be recognized this way and being put into the Hall of Fame? And he did, and that's when I first started watching pro football. Uh, it was really 1984, uh, that Bears team that lost in the NFC Championship game. So I grew up watching that Bears defense. Uh, that's the best defensive front I've ever seen. Um, and Mongo was a big part of what they did defensively. Look around him, the Hall of Famers that are already in off that defense. I think you have to take a hard look at Mongo and say, look, he was a major part of the best defense we've ever seen in the history of the National Football League. He was extremely disruptive on the defensive front. He's a guy that could play all three downs for you. I think he checks a lot of boxes if you're a Hall of Fame voter and saying who should be in or who should not be in, especially the time that's gone by and the support he has to be in the Hall of Fame. The other two guys were your contemporaries. Mm-hmm. You, you were in the league when Devin Hester emerged and when Julius Peppers was out there wrecking people. What do you yes. think of those two guys? Um, automatic in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. True difference makers. Look, Devin Hester's, uh, I mean, you can make a case, and I believe that he's the best punt returner in the history of the National Football League. Because we used to watch tape in the Bears, whether it was cross-check or preparing to play them, and he changed everything we did from a kicking perspective. Everything. And look, this is why Devin Hester was so good, because as a punt returner, what do you have to do first? You have to get 10 yards, get a first down. For well, the secure offense. the ball. Right, right. Catch the football and get a first down. That's one less first down the offense has to get. So he was excellent at getting up the field, almost like an outside zone runner, Dan, where you press outside mm-hmm. and then get vertical. And then once you get past 10 yards, now you become that creative player with the football in your hands. And he was fearless, fearless. But he was so good in the open field at setting up, to, setting up the coverage, finding open grass, and then exploding up the field. And that changed everything we had to do. We couldn't kick the ball to him. So we were willing to give up field position, kick it out of bounds, kick it short, just so he couldn't have the football in his hands. That's a difference maker. Julius Pepper is one of the best defensive players I've ever watched. And I remember games we played against him, whether, especially when he was down in Carolina. And you're watching him from the sideline saying that, that and this is ridiculous, the stuff he is doing off the edge, right? Impact player, disruptive, um, used his physical tools at the highest level. One of the best football players I've ever seen. He doesn't make sense. Like, when you look at Pep, and he's 6'7", and he's 300 pounds just lean. It, yes. it's, it's like if you try to create that player, Madden would be like, no, you can't, you can't create a player that's that six seven is three hundred pounds and has ninety nine speed. That's that's not fair to the offense that you're playing against. Yeah, I remember when we were coming off the field. This was in Carolina uh, when I was with Washington. I think it was 04, 03. We were coming off the field and you know, we went by each other. I looked up at him. I said, I I I am very happy I do not play offense today. You know. <laughs> Such a, because a I look, giant I, human being. I look like a, like a JV player next to him. That's what I look like. Yes. It's pretty crazy. Matt, enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks for the time and the breakdown, sir. All right, guys. Thank you.
That's Matt Bowen. We have uh, another concurring report regarding the likelihood of these Hall of Famers. Now the Tribune has weighed in, Colleen Kane and Dan Wiederer, saying that Devin Hester is expected to be formally announced tonight and joined by Steve McMichael. And they say very likely pass rusher Julius Peppers. So let's uh, talk about that ourselves when we come back on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. You know, everybody's so concerned about why they wouldn't even win another one. Maybe you should have the perception, you know, back in the early 80s when we started winning, all oh, these are these are overachievers. And after the Super Bowl, we went to underachieving, did we? Well, maybe you should look, come at it from my point of view. Maybe the bunch of slappies we were, we're lucky we won it one year. That's the voice, unmistakably, of Steve McMichael, who is believed to be headed to the Hall of Fame officially tonight. And to me, all you need to say is that when he retired, he was the all-time leader in sacks among NFL defensive tackles. It's that part, I think, that people tend to forget because, you know, Mongo was a wild man. He was on TV. He was putting lipstick on Gian Greco and had the Chihuahua on the desk and he was a four horseman and all of this other stuff. But when you look at the actual production, it it's undeniable. And I'm glad that he's getting this. And I'm glad for, you know, I actually ran into Hamp a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about it because, you know, I, I speak Hamp <laughs> and, and I told him how much you have an advanced degree I do. Yeah. And and I was telling him how much I appreciated seeing videos of Hamp taking like the band up to Mongo and performing and singing for them for him and his family. And I thought it was great and he he was he was sullen because obviously this is his best friend and he's seeing him go through something that's horrible. I'm glad that Mongo is getting the opportunity to get the recognition as a player and not just a personality. Like that, that, that to me is is what's happening here, and it's it's phenomenal to see. For the other two guys, man, let me tell you a story, Dan. Remember Super Bowl week? Remember all of us were down there. Can never forget it. We were down there. So you guys were, were made it in what Sunday night? Zach and I had been there since the f- previous Friday afternoon, so we were. We were gone. Like we were grinding by the time we got to the 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 Prince performance on Friday, and the what I think is my favorite moment on the score was our final Friday Bears hit. Two words with with you guys in the afternoon. It was off the hook. Epic, like absolutely epic. I did a pregame show for the score that day. I was the last person in the convention center before the game started. So I get on a bus, and it was just me on the bus. And I'm like, man, am I going to make it? Security, people had already been complaining about what the security was like, but there was no one there because everyone was already in the building and in their seats. So I, I breeze through security. I sit down at my seat. Like, I get there, and I'm like, okay, I made it. And then this happened. Adam Vinatieri has it on the tee. The Colts in all white. The Bears, navy blue and white. 
You know, numerals are about ready to go. By the people in the stands, they don't need seats today because they're all standing. Vinatieri on the approach platform. Popping here in Miami. It sails to the far side around the 8-yard line to Hester. Under it and to the middle with the 15 to the 20. Breaks free of the 25 to the 30. To the outside. 40. Midfield. 40. 30 to the coach. 20. 15. Hester 5. Oh! Touchdown Bears! No way! Yes way. One of the greatest moments in Chicago sports history. All the videos of people like watching that in bars, in their houses. I, I, like, I literally like sat down and was like gathered myself. And I was like, okay. That's the pregame show's done. I'm here to cover a football game. And then in the football game, two things happen. One, I had realized that Tony Dungy lied to me. Two, Devin Hester's out here doing the most amazing thing ever. Like picturesque. And the thing about that stadium is that it was, I think, nine to one Bears fans to Colts fans. Like Bears fans were up in there deep. And you saw it and you heard it when when Hester makes that second cut and you're like, uh oh, he gone. Mm-hmm. Like when when you like And watch his teammates. Watch them when when you see all the hands go up in the back. Like there, there it is. Yeah. Good luck, Vinatieri, because you're not going to catch him. You're not going to have the right angle, and he's gonna go. And then Devin Hester goes and he it was all season. Everything that Matt Bowen was talking to us about. In the last segment, it used to be that each week we would get to talk with the opposing coach and we get the really terrible phone that the Bears had. And we gather around the phone and we ask questions of the opposing coach. And in that season, inevitably, the first question was, what are you going to do about Devin Hester? And coaches threw all sorts of stuff at us like we're going to kick it out of bounds. We're going to try and sky the ball. We're going to use angles. We're going to try to make him you know, travel to go catch the ball. They would do any and everything to try and make him a non-factor. And to me, that is what solidifies him. If, if every week, if you're a specialist, and every week you're at the top of the list on the scouting report, that says to me that you have had an incredible impact on the game. Well, there's some melancholy as part of this, too. And that is that you're old. The kickoff is going away. Yeah. That whether you like it or not, whatever you have to say, we 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 now have the opening touchback. And even the fact that that's a Hall of Fame kicker in the Super Bowl, kicking it to the eight. And our my friends are like, the eight? What the hell's wrong kick with Kick it you? out the back of yeah, the end zone. It. Well, we now they kick it from a different place. Because it's you're you're supposed to kick it out of the back of the end. That's your job. Your job is to kick it out of the end zone. Kickoffs in in the next few years are going to be gone. So this whole idea of somebody building a resume based on kickoff returns, there isn't going to be another. This may be it ever, ever. And if they want to retroactively start talking about Billy White Shoes Johnson, talking about Rick Upchurch or Dante Hall. I'm trying to remember some of the other names. Oh, Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson is on there, or who was the the guy on the Browns? Metcalf. Terrence Metcalf. Eric. Eric right? Metcalf. Eric. Not Terrence Metcalf. Eric Metcalf. He was Terry. Was the dad? Yes. Terry Metcalf was a St. Louis Cardinal running back. But the these this position, he may be it. This could be the only one who even gets 
enough chances to build this kind of reputation. I think he is it. I love Brian Mitchell, too. He's it. If, if the Hall of Fame is about the best, and you have probably a lack of representation when it comes to specialists overall in the Hall of Fame, he's it. He's the best person. And for everyone who's saying, well, if we're going to put specialists in, why isn't Patrick Manley going? Because you don't game plan a long snapper. No. No matter how good you are at holding or long snapping or anything else that you do, you don't game plan around that. Now, let me connect Devin Hester with Julius Peppers because as someone who covered football, it is still the damnedest thing that I've ever seen on a football field. In a practice, one of the practices that are under the lights, you know, the ones where Devin Hester would get the in the kickoff and, you know, everyone would be like, oh, my God, he scored again, when they were just kind of doing half-speed stuff. Well, they did a full-speed thing with Hester. And I saw Julius Peppers catch him. No, you didn't. I, I've heard this story before. I don't believe you. I refuse to believe it's true. It is true. What? It is true. Julius Peppers took off on an angle. And you're like, oh, 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 my God. And he caught Devin Hester. Well, he caught Michael Vick from behind. That, that, that I remember vividly. When you see this 300-pounder come out of nowhere and, <laughs> and run down Michael Vick. Like, what? That's not supposed to be possible. You're not supposed to be six foot seven and 300 pounds, and be able to run with Devin Hester. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that gets you recruited by men in black. Yeah. You're not supposed to be able to do that. No, that's the kind of thing that men in black comes after you because you're an alien. <laughs> but no, remember? Remember when when Tommy Lee Jones is telling... The cephalopod. He's, yeah, he's telling Rip Torn that it's like that this guy ran down... Whatever it was at the, at, at the Guggenheim. Yeah, yeah, he ran him down. That's why they, they wanted Cephal- him. Cephalophoid? Cephalof... Wait. Whatever Jim Boylan said. Whatever Jim Boylan said Chris Dunn was. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't. You seen that movie? I have. I've seen that movie. But Julius Peppers was... There's, there I still know people who think that he didn't get everything out of that frame. And he's a Hall of Fame player. I mean, think about that. That if if, if it it's it feels like it was maximized, but if there are people who are in the know that feel, felt like it wasn't maximized, what does that even look like? The other thing you ask about these these Hall of Fame honors is that it's met with reverence and meaning by the people who are being enshrined. And I know in McMichael's case, whether he can express it or not, that it's deeply felt. And it seems to be that way with Devin as well, that this is incredibly important to him. Yeah. And as someone who covered Devin from the moment that he walked in the door, I really appreciate what's kind of happened with him. And we forget, like he was 21 years old when he got here. And, you know, now he's, a, what, 40? And, and you're seeing him, the, the maturation of him as a person has been fun to watch from the shy kid that would only talk to me on the record if I was by myself. 
Like, I would get to talk to Devin, but if people started to come around, he would get nervous, and he didn't want to do it. And I would have these conversations with him in the locker room, and some of the stuff, like, it, some of the stuff that he would say is stuff that you hear, like, prodigies talk about, where you go, how are you able to do that? And he's like, well, I look at the colors, and I run away from the opposite color. And I'm like, well, yeah. He could also describe. Everyone does that. No, no, no. He would describe not not running to what he's seeing, running to what what he was seeing told him about what was going to be there when he got there. Yep. And that's the kind of thing that people say they can do, but they can't. I'll say this, that if I were helping to write his speech, if he asked me to help him write his speech, or to if I were giving a speech to to induct him, what 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 I would like to say, if I were him, would be for someone who, from the moment his career began, starting in high school, we've talked to his high school coaches, his college coaches, no pro, one pro knew coaches, what to do with him. He's never had a position. Yep, they never knew. They didn't know what position he played. He was a defensive back. He was a running back. He was a wide receiver. He would get direct snaps they didn't know where to put him and I think for him to stand there with a gold jacket on and say today I have a position I'm the greatest return man of all time yep and maybe the greatest we'll ever see so all of this all of the hand-wringing about where do you play him he doesn't have a position he doesn't have a position he can say yes I do and I stand in front of you today my position where you play me is the best return man of all time. I think that's a mic drop. Yep. I hope they. I hope that he is. Uh, he leans into it because he deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. So does Pep. So does Mongo. Would be. It'd be a good night for our guy Jared Payton. Because he's tight with Devin, and obviously Mongo is like his second dad, third dad, right? Because he had Matsui too looking out for him. So this is going to be a a big emotional weekend for our buddy, Jarrett Payton. When we come back, there's something that's going on that has to do with the Super Bowl that should never go on if it has to do with the Super Bowl. Dan and I will discuss that next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Station, 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 Station. That work is being done every single day. We've had 23 experts out there. We've had the union out there. All of them think that's a very playable surface. It's softer than what they have practiced on, uh, but that happens. Um, it's well within all of our testing standards. Uh, it is something that we think all our experts, as well as neutral field inspectors, have all said unanimously that it's a playable field. Never doubt neutral field inspectors. Ever. Something. Our coverage of the big game on the score is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. And don't forget about our big plans on Sunday. If you are trying to figure out what you're going to do to kill time during the day, come hang. 670 The Score and Circus Sports Illinois. We're throwing a big game party Sunday. Benchmark in Old Town. 
It's Mully and Haw. It's us, the Bernstein and Holmes Show with Layla Rahimi, Parkins and Spiegel, all broadcasting live from noon to three, getting you ready for that big game between Kansas City and San Francisco. You must have at least $100 in your Circa Sports Illinois app to attend. Doors open at noon. So go to CircaSports.com to sign up for the invite and more information. So here's how it works. When the, the Super Bowl descends on a city, depending on which conference is hosting, that conference designated team gets to go to the home of the team city. So with the Chiefs being from the AFC, they get dibs on the, the Raiders facility. Okay? Fair enough. So the NFC team has to figure out something else to do. And they figured out that they would go to UNLV. UNLV had a great year this year, but it's been a program that has been forgotten about for a long time. And their facilities aren't great. I've actually run on this field. And I thought it was interesting because my my feeling about it was the same as theirs, is that it's soft. Now, the NFL came in a week before and put down a new surface on top of the soft surface that was already there at UNLV. They use scores, like a softness score, and the softness score for most play, like an average softness score is a 70. And most people that have been, according to reports on this, that have been around that field have said the softness score for that facility is in the 50s, which usually is unacceptable. Here's what I don't get. With the NFL making as much money as they do, with them being lauded in a lot of respects for being the most prepared league, the league that that does things the right way, I don't understand how in the last two Super Bowls we've had to have conversations about some sort of field not being right. Well, last year, the actual Super Bowl field was horrible. People were falling and slipping all over the place. Uh-huh. Because remember they said they had the magic sod guy, the 99-year-old guy who was in charge of the field was horse crap. It's, it is, um, I have no dog in this. It is unfair to the 49ers that they have to practice on a field that is substandard. And I know what Roger said, but Roger often lies. And I, I know that they, oh, we had everyone out here. We had the NFL PA out here and all that stuff. All I know is that there's enough people around the 49ers saying this is not acceptable that I'm willing to listen to it. If this is your biggest thing that you have every single year, the participants in it should feel comfortable as they get ready to take the field. There shouldn't be an advantage one way or the other. The, the, sta- the NFL standard needs to be raised if this is the NFL's crown jewel event. Or you do it like you would do it for an NBA shoot-around where you, you share a field. And I know it's hard logistically with everything everybody has, but you let both teams play on the very same field at different times of the day. You would, you would think that that would be a way that it could work. You know, Going back to the, the Bears Super Bowl where the Bears were – in Miami proper, and the Colts were in Fort Lauderdale, where they were kind of based out of. But it's just, this is too big of an event to have something like this get in the way of it. 
Just make it uniform. Like th- th- there should be a standard. And this isn't like th- everyone knew where where the Super Bowl was going to be. And UNLV season was over a long time ago. You had plenty of time to get this up to standard. And the fact that two months after UNLV season's in ends, you don't have it up to standard, that's unacceptable. They should do better. Jason Leisure is going to join us with a Bears perspective and Super Bowl thoughts when we return on the score. The score! Let's go now, you fired the first shot! Let's go, man! Jason Leisure. I'm here in the studio at the score. This is a very, very special honor for you. There's reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. H-I-T-S, they all stand for try hard. So for the coaches, it's now H is for, hey, don't do that. I is for, I wouldn't do that if I were you. T is for, that's a bad thing to do. And S is for, stop, you're fired. I don't know if I really look at it that way, Jay. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast. I was driving to my dad's house before recording this. I was like, man, I'm really in the mood for a beer. Just one. And then I remembered, like, all the beer at my dad's house is gross. Jason Leisure with Bernstein and Holmes on the score. He's right in the middle of it. He's breaking news about Hall of Famers. And we're saying, oh, there's this report. And then others are saying, well, sounds like that report is right on. Jason Leisure of the Chicago Sun-Times joins us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline. Download the Circa Sports app today, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. What's up, Jay? Dan, Lawrence, is anybody else there? No, No. it's just us. It's just us. Okay. Well, I am coming to you from Radio Row adjacent at the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino. Okay. I wanted to be on Radio Row because that felt like I should be coming to you guys from Radio Row, but I just, like, couldn't find a good, quiet spot. So... I am at like an abandoned front desk. I don't know if you can see me on the video. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a front desk slash uh, like coat check type thing that they don't use anymore. Security guard, Ron, said I could use it. And, Great. You know, in Vegas, it, it's all about who you know. So, And you know Ron. And, and that's I'm very well connected here in Vegas. Yeah. Th- that's really important. Um, What does it mean that DJ Moore advocated for Justin Fields? Well, he's always advocated for Justin Fields in the sense of like he has been a big supporter publicly of Justin Fields. He has uh, he supported Justin in their year end meetings uh, with Pauls and Eberflus that he he believes that Justin can and should be the quarterback of the future for the Bears. But I think that time has passed since the end of the season. And these guys all understand this business. And even if DJ Moore wouldn't theoretically agree with the Bears drafting a quarterback and trading Justin Fields, he's he accepts that that is possible. And that might be what he what the team does. And he's going to have to get on board with that if that's what happens. DJ Moore, by the way, uh, you know, typical of Radio Row, he is uh, appearing on all these shows in like promoting Mountain Dew, specifically the blue Mountain Dew, Baja Blast, which is my favorite, actually. And I was imagining, like, if Dan was here on Radio Row, because all these guys are promoting a product, I can just picture Dan going around, like, on behalf of Walgreens store brand underwear. CVS now. And they're, and they're CVS, excuse and they're- me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mention your, their competitor. Sorry, Dan. 
Yeah, come on now. That's I'm 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 like a super saver, top two percent of all CVS super savers. Well, you're definitely in the top two percent. <laughs> I'm telling. No, they send you. they like... send me texts to tell me how much I'm saving with for buying my underpants. There, believe me. Yeah, I just got a thirty percent off like, coupon today. I'm going to use it. If you're a player, you'd be like, I really think we're going to snap back next season, just like the elastic on my CVS store brand underpants. I I or had just... a, an incident yesterday because I was talking with Schrock. And Schrock had an interview with Romo Dunze, and he was with Sharpie. And I had never seen Sharpie, like, at the Super Bowl. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> of all the things that you could actually be out there selling, that's an excellent thing to sell. Why does Sharpie have to advertise? Aren't they exactly. the absolute? Is there a, is there a competitor for the, the market standard? Well, as it was explained to me yesterday by Rome, that they have a new sharpie pen that doesn't leak through when you're writing and they got pen they they even they even outfitted him in a sharpie they they collaborated with adidas to make a sharpie jumpsuit for him yeah yeah i i I saw sharpie i've never seen that before i saw josh and i used that pen and it was amazing that's that's that'd be a good product to be out here hawking it's just like stuff that everyone uses anyway well, I'm Jason Leisure, on behalf of Band-Aids, don't buy those cruddy store brand Band-Aids. What are you doing? Well, you, re- you really shouldn't. Well, I, I buy the CVS brand because I get 20% off because I'm, I'm a care pass <laughs> all right, member. All right, all right. <laughs> you really, you really. You would really just always see. bring it back to that, wouldn't you, Dan? Well, man, They'd be asking you about these various I'm just controversies saying. in your life. And you'd be like, I'm really here to talk about the CVS 20% back. It's, it's crazy because you pay $5 a month. And you get ten dollars in extra bucks every month, and so Thanasis and twenty percent off any store brand stuff all the time, and all the coupons. So it 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 See, it pays you. You sound like you're doing Radio Row right now. Just say, hey, it. Lawrence, can I can I ask you a question? Because like you are a football head, like you're a lot of things other than that, but like you will just get deep into like football nerding out yes i love that about you are do you get why it has taken this long to get devin hester in the hall of fame because i just don't no i to i don't understand it at all i mean luckily he didn't you know he didn't wait a lifetime okay he he, was a third try for him to get in yes to me it was super easy immediately like that's the greatest who's ever done it that's where they should all be there shouldn't have to be like tears of it you shouldn't have to wait because, oh, well, we can't make this person a first ballot. Like, that that to me is ridiculous. The guy clearly changed the game of football. So much so that we are seeing the fruits of that play out right now in the way that the, the, the game is officiated, the way that it's planned. Uh, to me, it, it was a slam dunk that he was going to the Hall of Fame. There are other people who I think should be considered off of some of those teams that he played in, too. And, and I think one of them is Charles Tillman, where if you would like to understand the impact that the guy has, I guarantee you there will be a mention of him on Sunday. And he hasn't played in a long time, but it shows you that yeah. he he created something that is going to live on in infamy. There are people now that talk about the peanut punch who I don't even know if they saw Charles Tillman play football. Right, right. That's just the generic name for it. Yep. So I think there's a lot of folks that 
that deserve their opportunity to get into the hall. And I'm glad that Devin got in because he deserves it. I think so too. I, I never understood the argument of kind of parsing out parts of football and saying, well, this is real football and this isn't real football. Um, it's all part of it. And this was a game changing player. And even if you do want to go down that path of, well, this is not like playing defensive tackle, or this is not like playing full-time on offense. I mean, there's kickers in the hall. So I don't know why a return specialist can't be in the hall of fame or why there was resistance to this. And he would be the first, he will be the first person to make it as a, as like primarily a return specialist. But I would say if you're ready to set a precedent, if you're ready to kind of break a, uh, to, to make history, I mean, this is an unprecedented player. It's just, so this would be the guy for it. it. It's so bears though. It's so bears to, to be the talk of the Super Bowl because of not having a quarterback and be the talk <laughs> of the Super Bowl because of great players from their past. From the past. And other always. teams are actually playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, right. and the Bears are still being, the Bears were, are, are, are at the Super Bowl, but not in the Super Bowl. Because, oh, by the way, you know, the Bears still don't have a quarterback, but look at these players mm-hmm. that were used to play for them that were great. It just sucks. Or look at the players in the game that they could have had. Like, this is just on and on and on. Oh, ouch. Yeah, it hurts quite a bit. So, um, so, so. What's your deal out there? Like, what what do you think is interesting? Um, I think that Patrick Mahomes is always going to be interesting, even if you take out the Bears angle. Um, I just think it, he reminds me a lot. He's he's gotten to this point already, where he reminds me of the way Michael Jordan um, stood in the league at that time where if you think back to the 90s, at a certain point, it just became everybody against Michael Jordan. It was, can the Sonics take him down? Can the Knicks take him down? Can the Jazz take him down? Can the Pacers take him down? Can Orlando take him down? Everyone is gunning for him. You just kind of expect Mahomes is going to be there, and then you're waiting to see who the challenger is going to be. Is it going to be you know, Baltimore? Is it going to be San Francisco, Philly, whoever? And I like that. I don't, I'm not bored by that. I want to see him try to fight everybody off every year and i like he he also has gotten into this kind of jordan type mode where no nobody's doubting this guy and he he likes to talk about having been picked 10th overall like that was a huge slight like no one believed in him uh, when a team traded up to draft him 10th overall but he's like looking for those things he's looking almost like jordan would would make up a lie or something and then believe his own lie to motivate himself yep. about an opponent that's kind of what mahomes is doing right now and i i've just always been um as a like as a sports fan or just someone who just enjoys watching it i have always appreciated and enjoyed watching excellence mm. the people at the very very top of their game doing it the best whether that's coaches uh, the way that they think, the way that they handle things, whether that's players um, over the years. Like I, I so enjoyed when I was early in my career watching Peyton Manning play. Um, and Mahomes is just, obviously, he's right there. If I granted you all access, you only get one. What player 
would you want to sit down with not named Patrick Mahomes mm -hmm. for 30 minutes? Is Taylor Swift in play? She's not a player. Mm -hmm. Although the player is going to play, yeah. play, 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 play. Yeah. She loves the players but hates the game. Or is it the other way around? I can't remember. Um, I would really like, if, if it's going to be a real interview, I'm going to get real answers. I really would like to talk to Travis Kelsey about what these last six months have been like for him because that just seems crazy. And I have always thought that, not that he's at that level, but he's kind of like next to it now. I have always thought that that level of fame to where it like impedes your life in a lot of ways just looks miserable. It looks like something, like everyone thinks they want to be famous, but when you can't just, you know, go to your local jewels over by there and pick up some food without being hassled and photographed and everything. Like, I just, I don't think that would be very enjoyable. And I would like to know what the, what he really thinks about how these last six months have gone. Hey, Jason, if you really want to learn about exactly what you're talking about, watch the David Beckham documentary. About, I would imagine. Yeah. About their, their family when he was playing for Real Madrid and yeah. what that was like, like helicopters daily following her as she's dropping their kids off at school like live coverage all the time like a surveillance helicopter like like the the last act of yeah. of goodfellas i mean it was it's you they really bring you the oppressive feeling of that kind of fame and and talk to them about it it's you're right i mean it, it has to be awful I did I tell you guys um, that like a month ago or so I was on a flight with Frank Thomas. Yeah, we were on the same flight. And we you were, were wearing your your Frank Thomas shirt. Yes. So we were the flight was from Atlanta to Chicago. Nobody recognized him in Atlanta somehow, which surprised me. But I mean, this is a guy who is sports famous and kind of like locally famous, really. Even though I know that Frank is a Hall of Famer and has broadcasting uh, and all of that. But when we landed in O'Hare um, and the the walk, I was kind of next to him and. Uh, walking down to baggage claim and talking with him a little bit. And he just could not, um, he could not make it from the gate down to baggage claim. He couldn't go five or 10 seconds without somebody trying to take his picture, somebody yelling to him. I mean, and they're all saying nice things, but you, you could tell it's like, this guy just is trying to get his bag and get out of here. And he, you could, he was very polite about it, but you could see in his face, like he's just trying to live his life. And that's Frank Thomas. That's a guy who played however many years ago, and is a baseball player and is more famous in Chicago than anywhere else. Like that's, that's a, that's a very low level of fame compared to what some of these mega celebrities have. And Travis Kelsey, while well-known before all this, it wasn't like this. It, it wasn't like he can't go anywhere now. Cause I think it would be like that now. I don't think there's anywhere that Travis Kelsey could go in America and not be and well, well and and not not even just hounded like you're kind of being tracked if you're him yeah you know because yeah. there there are going to be people in your business where if if travis is out at the bar well why is he at the bar who is yes. he meeting at and, the bar right and and if he's there with uh you know any friend who's a woman or anyone that he works with a cousin that's a woman uh, a relative that's a woman yeah. that they don't know it's a relative like this can be all over the place i mean it just seems so uh, suffocating to me. When you're out here covering the Super Bowl for um, a specific city market like I am for Chicago with the Chicago Sun-Times, you're looking at everything through uh, a Chicago lens. So when you write about Patrick Mahomes, you're writing about 
um, you know, what the Chiefs have that the Bears don't, or you're writing about Matt Nagy's involvement, uh, or you're writing about how the Bears obviously could have had Patrick Mahomes, things like that. Uh, the one thing that they asked me to write about while I was out here that had nothing to do with any of that is they were saying, you got to, at some point, you got to hit this Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing, because it's just such a big story. And I don't hate that Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing. I don't love it. Either. I don't just don't really care. It's, it's not ruining football for me that they cut to her 15 times during a game. It's, it's, it really doesn't affect anything for me. So I was just kind of thinking if they're going to have me write a column about this, which I did a few days ago, I got to just embrace it. I got to be all in. Like, I'm not going to do a good job writing about this if I'm resistant to the idea of even writing about this. And I'll tell you, my daughters are 12 and 10, and they think it's the finest piece of journalism I've ever done. They're like, send that one for the Pulitzer dead. Uh, also, it's the only thing we've ever read that you've written. That was fantastic. Yes, I imagine that that's the that's case. That's all they care about. We are yeah. asking all of our people who have made it out to Las Vegas this question. What's the thing that you personally are worried about when it comes to being in Las Vegas for yourself? We've had answers like shopping or going to shows because they're so expensive. We've had the drinking. What What is the, the vice that you have that you're like, I have to be very careful here? <laughs> uh, well, vice probably eating because the restaurants are amazing here. But the thing I'm worried about, and I think that this worry is well-founded. So if, you, if anyone listening or you guys like know Vegas, I'm staying at the Tropicana, which is at the south end of the Strip. And not like in the good main part of it, but it's kind of close enough to the strip and affordable. And that is the hotel that they are tearing down to build the A's ballpark. So it is shutting down. Uh, it is closing in two months. And boy, does that show like there is strong. We're out of here. Vibes. Quiet like quitting nothing, vibes. Oh, my gosh. Nothing is being taken care of there. It poured rain here monday and tuesday which i've never seen in vegas i've never seen it rain and it just poured all day monday and tuesday and like there there was one part of the hotel like a, a common area like a lobby or hallway where a chunk of drywall from the ceiling had fallen out and it was just dripping on it and it's just sitting there there's no cone there's no sign put up like they they're they're done like it's not dirty but there's so much stuff. There's so much stuff in my room, like lamps and furnitures and stuff where it's kind of broken or scratched up or peeling. And they're just like, yeah, we're good. We stayed in Miami one year covering the Bulls in the playoffs against the Heat in a hotel that was apparently going through a receivership bankruptcy where oh, it had no name. They, they had to take the name. I think it was a <laughs> like a Clarion Suites or something, but whatever it was, but they were all of the employees had uniforms but they had to cover up the logos on everything so it was it was bizarre it was a hotel everything was functioning okay but the, it, it was this nameless hotel where and it was by 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 law they're trying to explain that like your receipt is just going to say hotel on it like <laughs> what oh, boy. it was it yeah. was it was really unsettling the only thing that was uh, yeah. that was that was great about it was we happened to be there staying at the same time as as three national brazilian women's volleyball teams okay we'll see there you go and they were all like, you know, six feet tall with, I mean, you, you, it was just like, it was every elevator ride was a thing. 
Oh, well, that is my biggest fear to give the short answer to Lawrence's question about what might befall me in Las Vegas is every time I get on the elevator at the Tropicana, because I can just picture the state elevator inspector being like, hey, we're coming on Thursday and them just being like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're tearing the place down. So yeah, you're fine. If, if that if that breaks, it's saving us some trouble because we want kind of the whole thing to break into nothing anyway. Go A's. Awesome. <laughs> um, have a good time out there. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. It's Jason Leisure joins us every week to talk football. I guess then this is it then. We'll be cast adrift until next football season? No, there's going to be stuff that happens. With oh, them. yeah. Their Bears need a quarterback. Yeah, there's going to be things and decisions will be made. Yeah, the Bears have the number one pick in the draft. Oh, yeah, that's I don't know if you right. Heard. The Bears have the number one pick in the draft. So let's get a reset on everything that's going on in the NBA. Oh, you don't need one! I think we're at, what, eight former Bulls have been dealt or seven former bulls already have been dealt and no they've got 35 minutes left dan no actual bulls that's a very dealt. mid trade deadline but it needs to be a, be reviewed nonetheless i'd say they're doing it again they're doing it again they're they're not gonna do anything they're gonna be like, this is fine yep hey you thought you laughed at this whole idea dan yep. and look at where we are here we are oh, go bulls that's really what our dilemma is. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Midday's 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. Odyssey Station. Odyssey Station. Dad, you've got to help us, Doc. We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. All quiet. All quiet on the Bulls front. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Well, there, okay, at, at least like there hasn't been a ton of stuff that's happened, I guess. Very mid-trade deadline so Although, far. what, Grant Williams and Seth Curry are now Hornets? And so Patrick, Seth, Patrick Seth Beverly's on the Bucks. So, so that's good, I guess. There's all kinds of people moving around, but it's, I mean, Buddy Heald and Marcus Morris and Gordon Hayward. And I will the say, Knicks though, have added some people. What, what, what I see in return for some of these players that aren't as good as Alex Caruso or DeMar DeRozan makes me feel like you should trade Alex Caruso. Are or you DeMar saying De- that Furkan Korkmaz, Furkan is not- Korkmaz. <laughs> a premier player? In the NBA, it's a Bulls killer. I am saying that. So Patrick Bev- Patrick Beverly has gone from the Sixers to the Bucks for campaign and a second round pick. So that's two former Bulls. Okay. Campaign, not a big man. 76ers yeah. are still in need of that. And the Suns are trading for Royce O'Neal as part of a three team deal. David Roddy is moving. Spencer Dinwiddie, former Bull. Former Bull is a raptor now going to the raptors in exchange for dennis schroeder and thad young former, former bull. bull so that's four right okay you're right pj washington and seth curry the knicks get bojan Bo, bojan bogdanovich and alec burks in exchange for quentin grimes evan fournier don't google him malachi flynn and ryan archidiakon google evan you just don't google fournier's gangrene yeah you uh, 
Ryan Archidiacono, everyone with me. Former Bull. That's five. And, Ray, what did you learn about Ryan Archidiacono? Oh, yeah, just a, a wonderful stat here. Ryan Archidiacono is the first player in NBA history to play 20 consecutive games without scoring a single point. That was as of February 5th. That's amazing. How hard that's going, that is. That's going on the list of records that's never going to be broken. You know how difficult that is? I mean, that's like like the Snell. Like the... the isn't the, the isn't that the zeros in all four categories and like fifteen minutes played or whatever? Yeah, but twenty games without a point in a row. Studs and I were talking about. Hey, what he brings up the ball? You're right. That's that's boom. He that's can dribble. Seriously. He gets you into your offense. There you go. That's like he's Joe, a general on that, the floor. That's Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. He's a right lunch there. pail guy. The, the he's a that's glue why Tibbs loved them. Hard hat lunch pail. All right. He's a glue guy. Gordon Hayward. From the Hornets to the Thunder for Trey Mann, Davis Bertans. You're going to love him in OKC. Vasily Micic and draft considerations. The Wizards are trading Daniel Gafford. Former Bull. At six. For, to the Mavs for Rishon Holmes and draft considerations. They need some the rim j- protection because Luka <laughs> ain't guarding nobody. Protect that rib. Uh, the Jazz have sent Kelly Olynyk and Ochai Abaji to the Raptors for Kira Lewis. Otto Porter. Former Bull. What's that, seven? Yeah. The Sixers dealt Daniel House to the Pistons. And the Sixers got Buddy Heald for Marcus Morris for Concorkma's multiple seconds. The Timberwolves. The wait, Pist- wait, wait. Multiple seconds. Former, Former Bull. Bull. The Pistons traded Monty Morris to the Timberwolves for Shake Milton and Troy Brown Jr. Former Bull. That's eight. I think that's eight. Grizzly sent Xavier Tillman to the Celtics for Lamar Stevens. The Pistons have acquired Simone Fontecchio for Kevin Knox and the rights to Gabriele Proceda. Okay. Now, you cannot mention the name Daniel Gafford without revisiting this moment on Twitch. Shout out to the people watching on Twitch. Do you like Jim Boyle? This moment. Yeah, I don't like him a lot, but he okay. Got some things he can work on. Got some things he can get better at. As a person and as a coach, I'm not going to hate on him. I'm not going to hate the man. We need to keep playing playing the way we're playing. I mean, as he, he kind of did. And he was on the Bulls roster. with the, That's his current coach. That was his current coach. Did you like him? He, he hey, died. that's <laughs> called keeping it 100. Got some things he can work on as a person and as a coach. He was he was very specific about that. Yeah, what's with your dumbass punch in the time clock? There's stuff that he can work yeah, on. And his red hat. As a person and as a coach. Uh-huh. Real interesting. The stuff that he was supporting in an NBA locker room. So look, if if you're the Bulls, this can go one of two ways for you. One. You could make trades in the next 25 minutes nah. that will allow you to be the lead story on the Friday before the Super Bowl in Chicago. Or nah. two, you can not make a trade, which will make you the lead story in Chicago the Friday before the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you what I think. This 708 says. That's what, impressive. This says, what does Daniel Gafford feel about Shane Waldron? <laughs> Do you like Shane Waldron? Do you like Jim Boland? Yeah, I, Good luck. I don't like him a lot, but he okay. 
Got some things he can work on. Got some things he can get better at. As a person and as a coach. I'm not going to hate on him. I'm not going to hate the man. Now do Luke Getze. I do have this feeling ah, that when we do record right. the Organizations Win Championships podcast today, if what I think is not going to happen in the next 23 minutes doesn't happen, we're going to have to waive our rule. Oh, you're going to death spiral? I'm going to waive the no death spiraling rule for the podcast As today. As you should. Because Full this on is, death spiral. <laughs> yes, that's, I believe this is going to be death spiral Thursday. So, oh, man. Woof. This is our concern, dude. Yes, it's yeah. our concern yeah. that you're not doing anything. Yeah. Do something. <laughs> Instead of being okay with 39 wins. <laughs> you know what? That is one good thing if DeMar stays. His family stays, and they seem pretty awesome. And even if they trade him, they can re-sign him in the offseason. Well, they I talked about this with, with Kevin Bulldog Anderson yesterday. That's more difficult because he loses the bird rights from being their guy, so they would have to sign him for the mid-level exception next year. Well, because they're capped. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so it, now- all comes, it all comes back to one of the four things that they're locked into. Can yep. you please review the things that okay. the Bulls are locked into? All right, again? the four things that they are. Mediocre. Old. Check, check. Capped. Check. Bereft of draft capital. Check. Other than that. Because he's bad. Other than that, things seem to be fine. Oh, God. Things are good. Did we decide on our next segment? We didn't. How about we we roll the print stuff in the next segment since it's Super Bowl week? Let's do that. We will share stories of Prince in the greatest halftime show ever. Next on The Score. Dan Bernstein. Lawrence Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Uh, how rude of me. I haven't given you enough time to freak out yet. You may do so now. Thank you. We can add another former bull to the list of names traded. I believe we're at nine. Is this nine or ten? Doug McDermott, Dougie McBuckets is going from the Spurs to the Pacers, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Pacers are a perfect team for him. Well, after losing Buddy Heald, they needed three-point shooting. That's what I'm saying. All right. Have the Bulls done anything? They have not. (laughs) I want to leave town. I host a podcast about this team. It's your choice. What am I doing? (laughs) Death spiral. Death spiral. Death spiral. They're not doing anything nope <laughs> everything's fine <laughs> hey the bulls play in memphis what tonight happened to me so you'll have that to look forward to dan you'll have yeah and they kept the band together for this game yeah man the band's gonna be yeah. together in memphis yeah. they'll be walking in memphis go get them <laughs> um so remember how the, when the bears were in the super bowl i do and they had that like epic halftime show uh-huh. Yeah. The director of that epic halftime show wanted to give you some insight into what it was like getting Prince ready for that epic halftime show. Prince, his stage was designed out of mylar. He had two dancers uh, called the twins, real long hair, eight inch heels, Mm. and it was slippery to begin with. And when it rained on it, it was treacherous. I didn't sleep the night before because I said, 
what happens if one of them falls down? Do we just keep going and step over her? The funny thing is, is that counting down to Prince, he's underneath the thing ready to go. We're like 30 seconds. All of a sudden, the heavens burst open and it just started pouring rain. What would you think? Well, what I, I, I called him immediately on my walkie-talkie and said, Hey, man, it is really coming down now hard. I, I just want you to know. And he said to me, can you make it rain harder? He did say that. He said that to me. He Prince saw that as an opportunity, and he used it to give a performance of his life. It prompted Prince to elevate his performance and meet the challenge. The water started hitting the hot lights, and it created a steam effect that kind of floated against the stage. Water hit the lint camera lenses and created hexagonal stars. I mean, it took my breath away. It wasn't planned. <laughs> it happened. And it was just magical, ethereal. It's what made, I think, what made that show so memorable. That was courtesy of the Rich Eisen show. How cool is that? Super cool. And I know I was telling you guys this the other day in one of our meetings. They should have stopped doing halftime shows after that one. Never, it's never getting better. Well, Studs, do you know why they do, like, big-time halftime shows now? Like, what the genesis of that was? So, back in, in the 90s, there was a show called In Living Color. And that show. And it is, you know, it's Jim Carrey, it's Jennifer Lopez, it's the, the Wayans, Jamie Foxx. Like, all these these really talented people Tommy were on that Davidson, show. Tommy Davidson, David Allen Greer. Absolutely. Just, just a murderer's row of comic genius. When they didn't, when Fox didn't, was still being born as a network, they decided that instead of having people watch boring halftime shows, that they would do their own halftime show. Boring halftime show being like up with people yes. or just, a, just filler. The numbers that they got for Fox, because they were like, watch the game at halftime, we'll have a clock for you and everything. We're going to do our thing, and then you can go back to watching the Super Bowl. The numbers, the millions and millions of people that they poured in for that viewing made the NFL, I think the next year was Michael Jackson. Like, that's how big a deal what In Living Color did at halftime was. And that makes sense. And I'm obviously, like, being hyperbolic when I say stop doing the halftime show. But the point is, the Prince one is never, they're never topping that. I mean, I, I would watch that just over again every year. I would like to hope that there might be someone who will be able to top it. I don't know if that happens this year with Usher, but we shall see. Is he going to do Purple Rain in the Rain? He's not going to do Purple Rain in the Rain. Okay, he's not going to beat it then. Okay. The that's, Chiefs, a high, that's a high bar. The Chiefs exactly. and the 49ers will be meeting Sunday in Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas. Our official pregame coverage begins at 3. The kickoff at 5.30. The Super Bowl can be heard exclusively in Chicago on 670 The Score or with the free Odyssey app. We will come back and welcome Parkins and Spiegel. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.